If you work for yourself, save up to 50% for an entire year on the new QuickBooks Self-Employed. It helps separate your business and personal expenses so you can quickly track what you spend for work and what you spend on yourself. QuickBooks Self-Employed helps take the guesswork out of estimated federal quarterly taxes. So come tax time, you know how much money to set aside for Uncle Sam and how much stays in your pocket. You can try QuickBooks Self-Employed and receive 50% off at tryselfemployed.com slash test. Again, that's tryselfemployed.com slash test. And now, on with the show. Hey, let's start the show. It's June 11th, 2015. Welcome to This Is Only a Test, the official podcast of tested.com. I'm virtual Will Smith. <laughs> oh, boy. Seated directly to my left, virtual Norman Chan. Virtual Will? Yes. Virtual Will? Mm. Virtual Will. Uh, I'm, I'm ditching my Twitter handle. I'm going goodbye you, at Will Smith. Hold, hold on. Twitter. Hello, virtual Will. Virtue. How do you spell that? V-I-R-T-U. W I L L yep. Virtue Will Jeremy Williams also here. Oh, sorry, Will Brannigan is already <sighs> Virtue Will joined June 2011, well before Virtue Will. Man, that's good. He's 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 even early on, like he's pre VR the whole thing. Yep. Oh, I'm so sad. 11 followers. Yeah, you can reach out. I bet I could buy this from him. I bet you could. I'll give you thirty dollars. I bet he'd trade. I got to send it out before we post the podcast. So as soon as as soon as we post this podcast, the value is going to skyrocket. That's right. Virtue will futures are looking good. And then there's Virtue Williams. Yep. Thank you. <laughs> no. Yeah. That's good. Let's see. I'm Virtu- ch- I'm already there. Sorry, oh, this doesn't, page doesn't oh. exist. Jeremy, your option. Your your. That, that means it's been purchased, or is that no. a, is that a is that <laughs> a Chrome means, thing? It means you can do it. Yep. Virtue Williams. Virtue Williams. I think this is the best idea we've ever had on this show. Vir, uh, virtue, n- nope, norm. Virtue no. norm. Vir, vir, vir norm. Nope. Um, I, I own a decent virtual reality a domain name. Virtual is, norm is already taken. Of with, course. With a bot. Virtue it's norm. an egg. <coughs> VRGAM.ES. VR, VR games. VR games. Yeah. Wow, that's yeah. pretty good. I thought so too. Wow. It's an Estonia website as well. Yeah, I picked it right up. You know, the Estonians, uh, you vote online in Estonia. They were early on the internet over there. Don't you do that everywhere but here? Uh, I don't know about everywhere, but Oregon, I think you can vote online, right? Hey, guys, some housekeeping first. Yeah. Um, mistakes were made. We made a couple of mistakes last week on the Steam, Steam refund stuff. Uh, one is that the big one is that when you do a refund... This was based on bad information that was just eking out at the time we posted last week. When you make a, when you have a refund, uh, it, they try to send it back to the original purchase spot. Some payment options that's not possible with. So if you buy it with a credit card, it'll refund to your credit card by default. If you, um, if the, for whatever reason the credit card can't be refunded, or you had like a you had like a Steam gift card balance or something like that, it'll go back in your wallet. So it's not like everything Valve refunds goes into the Steam wallet. It's only certain things. Um, the other big thing was that the and we said this, but it was unclear. We were unclear about it. Is that the 
length of time you have to return things varies based on the content oh. type. So like DLC has a different set of rules than say um, full games, which has a different set of rules than um, uh, uh, in-app purchases, which has a different. You, you get the gist. Um, some of that stuff, it seems like I couldn't find any sources for this, but people on Twitter swore up and down that that stuff. Some of it is automated. So that if you play for less than two hours, you'll be able to ask for a refund on a game. I think still think that is super duper shitty for um, for developers, for yep. pe- especially people who make small games. Like if you if you are looking at, I can't I can't think of the number of games that I've played for less than two hours that I paid ten bucks for that I was like super stoked about, and it would really bum me out if people who are making games that are short and and inexpensive are going to get screwed on this. So. Uh, anyway, we'll see how it goes. You know, being able to get refunds on stuff that doesn't work is un- undoubtedly good for people. Like, I think we all agree on that. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that there's, I, I, this worries me in general um, for small developers, basically. I, it concerns me. The one really good thing about it, though, is I think that we'll see a lot of those kind of crapware, like the Android and iOS port, ported games. I think that this will hurt them most of all. Ooh, and that's a good thing. I don't know if it's a good thing. I, you know, I kind of don't like to hurt other people in general. Yeah. But it may encourage those people to be more selective about the titles that they release and only release stuff that's good instead of just shoveling the entire catalog out onto Steam. So anyway, you know, even indie developers are, are making small games, but they're not necessarily quick games. I mean, th- you get a lot yeah. of replayability out of them. You're talking about stuff like threes. So I'm saying, even if you play it for two hours, you might not have experienced, you know, the, the full game or, or sand, in, gotten as sandbox deep game. as there is to get. Yes, I'm thinking about stuff like Gone Home, which you know, or Stanley Parable. You can blast through Stanley Parable. Can you? Well, you're not going to see everything because you can right. play Stanley Parable for 80 hours and not see everything. I think. Man, it's, it's kind of a puzzle game though, so it does take some time. But yeah, but if you just if you just do one path through Stanley Parable I mean, and you get yeah. to the end in 15 minutes, like that, you're not getting the full experience though. Right, but I don't think that like that game is intentionally obtuse. You're also following a cheat book if you're doing it in 15 minutes. Well, but I mean, you can get. I'm not saying get the good ending. I'm just saying get an ending. Yeah, you can get an ending in Stanley Parable in like 10 or 15 minutes yeah. if you okay. just start walking and don't stop. Right. Right. If you played that, you're like, oh man, this game sucks. I got to the ending already, and you didn't know what the game was. Yeah, I I don't think that. First of all, I think that people on Steam for yeah, Stanley Parable is a rare case of a game where it has a like a, a quote unquote false ending, and you have to play a lot to maximize it. I don't think people. We're talking about a very, very small percentage of people who will try a game and feel like they got they didn't get the full game. And then you know what? If they read later that hey, there was a lot more to it, they can just buy it again. I guess that's true. And if this is a problem for indies, they'll be vocal. We'll hear more about it. Yeah, I'm sure Valve will cater to them. And and Valve seems to have a better the best relationship of any of the big game right. portals with indies. So I mean, fingers crossed. Anyway, uh, guys, I th- I think hold on, wait, I have some music here. I think that it's probably time for the VR Minute, or as I like to think of it this week, the VR Half Podcast. Welcome to the VR Minute. Hey, Norm. We a subsidy, <laughs> or no, no, a, a, a subsidiary, uh, subsidiary <laughs> of this is only a test, a wholly owned subsidiary of this is only a test. Uh, VR minute. Uh, we were at the three of us went to uh, the Oculus Rift 
unveil press conferences. They call, they called it their E3 conference. It is the E3 press conference ahead of E3, which is, as you know, next week. We'll be down there, but it was thankfully set in San Francisco. Uh, we do E3 where we fly one day. We don't attend a press conference. So I'm glad that we had the chance to go to this announcement. We, we've gone to press conferences. <laughs> I'm saying this year we're not in multi, in the most recent years we go for one day but uh, we're going to get Oculus hands-on stuff at E3 what was announced today is kind of for the main for for the wider audience for anyone who has maybe heard of Oculus or is curious about virtual reality this is the state of Oculus and the Oculus Rift um, for this year and presumably leading into early next year as well they announced the consumer version. Yes. Uh, formally announced the Oculus Rift. Now, of course, we've already seen the blog post with some technical specifics of what CV1 will be. Um, but uh, we can break this down kind of throughout the event. It was also live stream, so if you're curious about exactly how it was presented, uh, I think that's all on Twitch. Probably is already there by it's now. It's already there. Yeah. Uh, but we're going to talk about impressions, kind of run down everything they talked about. Uh, no demos were given, we should no, say. Yes, yeah, start. we should say for housekeeping, no demos were given. Uh, we did not get uh, hands-on with any actual game demos. Uh, no pre-order um, today. It will be in the near future, sometime later this year. Um, and then also, uh, any of the hardware we saw that we, whether held or touched or got up close with, could have been still prototype hardware uh, and not maybe not representative of what, what final production units will look or feel like. Yeah, even though I think you said you got to hold one of the controllers or something for a moment, when I went over to try to grab them, they were just no hands, please. Yeah. So they said they, but they did say hopefully we'll have some stuff to hold next week at E3. We definitely, I, I would hope so. Yeah. Uh, so let's okay. start off with what uh, what they start off with, which was the headset. Hold on. Should we start off with the big thing or with the headset? Let's start off with the headset. Okay. Because the big thing was going to require a lot of conversation. The build up kind of is important for that. Uh, the headset is, of course, this is Oculus Rift. Um, the design of the headset, it was on stage in person. We got to go up close with it. <laughs> Uh, from the two renders they had previously released, uh, we would presume that the uh, ergonomics of it would be very similar to Crescent Bay. And by that, I mean uh, very light in the front, um, rigid on the side, and then with uh, a head strap uh, on the back and kind of like a plate in the back as well, this triangular plate in the back. And that's all here with the Oculus Rift headset. Uh, what they wanted to emphasize, though, obviously in addition to you know their state-of-the-art optics and the, the display systems, which they have blog-posted about uh, low persistent, they wanted to emphasize two things. One was the light, how light this headset would be for the ergonomic benefits, comfortable and light, comfortable yeah. and light. So how you wear it, how you actually put it on, how you adjust it, and two, what the tracking system would be on the this headset, which apparently is a little different than the tracking system you we saw in either Crescent Bay or uh, DK2. So should we talk about ergonomics first? Yes, with ergonomics, uh, the design of headset is it's it's a it's a rigid headset, but the uh, the covering on the outside, around not the front plate of it, but around around um, the oval, the O, is cloth, and so is the inside. Mm-hmm. Um, there is electronics behind that, but the reasoning they did cloth, they said, was for weight and for comfort, and also to block out lighting. Um, so, so to give you a better seal than, say, a hard plastic or foam or something like that that yes. would break down over time. Right. Um, so unlike uh, past headsets where it is, and even uh, the Gear VR where it's uh, uh, pressed against your face, uh, this is not quite like 
Sony Morpheus, where you're wearing a halo and then flip down the goggles with this kind of plastic gasket seal. Uh, this still is more like a, they call it like a baseball cap, uh, where you actually it's um, press against your face, but uh, the weight is really on your temples um, and on your ears. Um, the the hard plastic part kind of f- goes along your temple and it folds back behind your ear. Did did um. Did you see what the actual the place where it touches your face was made of? Is it the cloth that is, again? That is cloth again. Okay. Now it's not a one hundred percent seal because, uh, as Palmer demonstrated uh, after the live stream, he put it on in front of press and he tilted his head up and said, "You can still, if you tilt your head up, see your keyboard." So there's a little bit of room there. You can ga- gaze down your nose. You can gaze down, as opposed to the most recent Morpheus prototypes we've seen, which have like a little little flap of soft rubber that kind of pushes up and rests flush on your nose. Right. There have been third-party aftermarket cloth um, things for the Oculus Rift DK2 that have been available from online retailers, and I actually par- purchased those, and I like them. So mm-hmm. I'm happy about They're this. comfortable. Yeah, exactly. I think cloth is a good It seem, seems like that's a good idea that they lifted from the community. But those cloth, the cloth wraps that you currently have, they're not like, it's not conforming. They're not cloth that also acts as a gasket. So I think this is like, like the, the way that you press the, the the headset into your face with cloth can maybe conform more, at least around the edges, and block out light better. So the questions I have about cloth are really about like how you clean it, because unlike rubber, cloth gets dirty. It, yeah. It's going to get it's going to collect sweat. Like if you look at your baseball hat after you've worn it for six months, mm-hmm. it's gross. You know, I I can imagine that this is going to be the same, and it's going to get sweaty because you're wearing this thing on your face. There's presumably not that great airflow inside it, and and. You know, I have to assume you're able to take that off. Although it didn't look like it on the prototypes that we saw. I don't think you can take off the cloth around the outside, and that stuff, you know, could uh, then tearing uh, could it could be a problem. The peeling on the cloth, um, but. Palmer did say the interior uh, would be removable, and they would be shipping with multiple inserts for the ways to, to adjust how um, the the headset interfaces with your face. So, is that does that mean? Like as they have before, shipping different optics with different inserts, or is that does that mean I like different head size inserts? What like if you have a tall, skinny face or a big, fat face? What's the what's the? My presumption is that the actual optics won't come out with those inserts. But it'll just be the cloth around the optic, uh, the optics, and how how that cloth wraps around your eyes. And that he said, not only would they ship with them, but it would be replaceable. So other ergonomic stuff. Uh, they mentioned that it works better with eyeglasses now. They there's a he was it was very specific language. He uh, Brendan Aribe said uh, Aribe said better accommodates glasses. Yep. He did not say it works well with glasses. He said it's better. Better accommodates glasses. Better accommodates glasses. The way you uh, strap it on, so the outside there are two Velcro tabs uh, for those rigid temple bars. I guess you can call them. Um, and you could you're supposed to adjust those beforehand for yourself. But as you put it on, there's also the top Velcro strap. Um, that's how you tighten. So so just to paint a picture. It seems like is the whole part that goes around your head rigid, or is it just a significant portion? I think it's like coming out of the glasses, and then the part, the the kind of V shaped thing on the back that yeah. you, that nestles the back of your cranium. Yeah, if you look at the, any of the photos on their website now, it's anything that. Um, oh yeah, it's everything that goes from the temple all the way to the back, which is what we saw in Crescent Bay. It looked like the head yeah. that goes over the top was rigid too. Uh, that's or at I least parts a, of it. Yeah. I think that was just a strap. You the think Velcro so? Strap. I mean, in in the renders and what I saw, I think hmm. I saw in person, uh, that was just 
the strap. Um, so, uh, okay. also with ergonomics, um, the earphones not only they don't just flip up; they're completely removable. Well, the fact there are earphones is news. Well, they, you know, they had those on the on the Crescent Bay demos. They had them built in Crescent Bay demo. I think they had already announced before that the, it would come with built-in yeah. audio. After, um, after and, and Palmer said that you know if you want to use your own headphones, yeah, because you they quote unquote look cheap um, was one of the complaints from the community. Uh, I mean, the thing the thing I'll say about those the headphones that are integrated either on that or on the Vive is that having them off of your ears a little bit helps a great deal with the like the HRTF. Um, positional audio stuff, and it, like, which they're now, they're now calling it VR audio. Right, you're not gonna you're not gonna want to use that with earbuds. I think I think you need to have something that wraps around your ear and uses the shape of your ear to to fake out your brain, basically. Um, not only are the earbuds removable, they didn't mention anything about a microphone. Now they had said back in September, and Palmer has tweeted that microphone is part of the consumer rift and his quote back then was that it's hidden in the best place possible. Our assumption still is that maybe that's under the nose bridge or, or something like that. It looks like, it looks like from these pictures that are on Oculus's website, it looks like the, um, like the actual gasket that goes around your face will also be removable. That's what I mean. That's, that's yeah. the removal part. And it, and it is foam, but with a layer of fabric on the inside. Right. Um, they talked a lot about how you'll be in an environment with other people. And so that's what made me think, well, I'm surprised they didn't mention a microphone anywhere. I hope that that quote from last year is still relevant because it's right. an old quote. Yeah, and, we've, and we look at these photos. There's no obvious like hole yeah. you see for a microphone. Guys, um, what? I'm going to blow your minds here. Blow okay. it. The microphone might be on the camera because they can do multiple microphones and do active noise cancellation and all that stuff the same mm-hmm. that happens on your iPhone or, or any kind of you know modern As long as there's a microphone, device. great. And, and, you'll have and, a, directional. And, and if you have a directional microphone and it's sitting directly, they, like you know where your relation with the camera is in relation to the mouth and all mm-hmm. that, like it's a, it's a good place to put the microphone. That absolutely is correct. Yeah. Uh, it could be in the base of the camera. I mean, yep. it does have a, a base system. Um, one final thing, uh, IPD adjustment is now uh, built in. It's a slider on the bottom of the headset, which was in the render. But the new thing is that knowing that the interior uh, mesh is cloth, uh, the surrounding parts of the, the, the lenses, when you adjust just the IPD, the cloth just stretches. So presumably those lenses are floating on some sort of brackets that just move a little bit, right. and, and there's no hard shell inside there. And the cloth just wraps around those lenses. I'll be curious to see the calibration method for that. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the way to do it right now, you can see how, how you do it right now with a computer. If you go to Warby Parker slash IPD or something like that mm-hmm. and do the determine what your pupillary distance thing is, basically t- uses the webcam on your computer and walks you through a process that's really straightforward and takes about five minutes. There's a process built into the DK2 yeah. you know, software as well. I just wonder if it's going to be the same kind of thing. I think the Warby Parker one's better than the one built into DK2. Yeah. Are you supposed to wear the headset when you check that out? No. So with Warby Parker, it's so they can sell you glasses. Oh. Um, oh. Yeah, I like I. I think that's not a it's not a difficult problem, and it's not something that changes over time. The question is, how are you going to align? I mean, it may be that they just have a thing that you line, you wiggle the slider on the on the goggles until the lines converge or something like that, and that's how they determine it when they can move the lenses. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll find out. Um, Hopefully next week. And then uh, the, the other thing, other part of the headset is how it's being tracked now. So we alluded to a camera. The camera, of course, will be included with the Oculus Rift. It doesn't look like the DK2 camera where a lot of people either mount put on top of their monitors or put on their own little tripod behind a monitor elevated above and all their um, their 
photos and, and their marketing material, it showed it, the camera on a stand on the desk, kind of even like lower than the eye height. Yeah, maybe about a foot tall. Right. And facing up. And, and, and tilting up. Um, now, we presume the camera is the same kind of like IR type camera. There is no obvious lens on the camera. But you don't need that for IR. You don't need that, right? I mean, it could, a piece of black, black plastic can work. Mm-hmm. Um, or cloth, as the case may be. Right. Um, and the camera, presumably, is the other thing that's going to require USB 3 input. Because mm-hmm. there are two cables that come right now. And there's the cable that comes out of the headset and the cable for the camera. Our speculation is that USB 3 requirement is for power for the camera to keep it at one cable. Well, and the headset as well. So the headset's now, the way it's being tracked, uh, the arrangement of LEDs around it, um, they call it the constellation tracking system. Good name. It is a good name. Absolutely. Uh, And that alludes to, of course, the fact that the the fixed arrangement of those LEDs is how, and the way they pulse, just like light, is in a constellation of the stars, is how you recognize the object. Yeah, I think it's a fantastic name. Uh, It looked like in their uh, the one render when the, that they showed on their projector that the arrangement was different than we saw on the the, uh, the, the prototype. You can yeah. see the the in the pictures on the site that it's a different arrangement. Um, this has no bearing on developers, though. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just it, they're covering angles to get the most coverage yeah. with the least LEDs, right? Um, which makes total sense. I presume they're also on the back of your head. Although yes. everything that we've seen about this makes me think it's probably like a front 270 degrees solution, not a full 360. You think so? Well, so you they have them on the back of the side. head for Crescent Bay. No, I know, but but yeah, we'll, we'll find out next week when we can talk to them, ask questions. They didn't mention anything about the FOV of the camera, of the IR sensor. Right. Uh, so we don't know exactly how much space, like Valve clearly said, a 15 by 15 you know room or space but with their light house solution. But who knows about this? But they did say that it will be both seated and standing yes. uh, yep. experience. Yes. So you, they said you will be able to move around somewhat. And the sensors they've had for Crescent Bay demos for a while, um, the conical area looked really, that volume looked pretty big. I mean, you're walking around in a, it was like, what, four feet by four foot square? Mm -hmm. Uh, But the distance between, at that point, the distance between you and that camera was pretty far. It was five feet, probably. Um, What did... Well, for one other thing, we didn't talk about this at the beginning. I think this was the first time we saw the Oculus logo, wasn't it? The new one. The new, they the new they one. did that two days ago. They okay. changed their website, released the logo, paid $50,000 for it. It's, um, it looks like the yeah. USB 3, USB-C connector. They said what they paid for the logo? I think some, someone Leaked. figured out really? who, 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 <laughs> uh, who, did, who worked on it. Um, it, was a, it was not just a throwaway job. Yeah. So Let's put it that way. Okay, last couple of things on the hardware. Um, Actually, I think th- I think that's it. Like we're I, I'm on, the, on the headset hardware. On the headset itself, uh, we don't know uh, exactly how the lens is going to look. Um, we got to look at, the, at look. the lenses. The lenses look larger than what they, we've seen so far. They look, you know. As, have you been, seen? You haven't seen Crescent Bay. Oh, you have. But it's been a while, and they I, look like Crescent Bay lenses. Do yeah. they look the same to you? Yeah, they look very similar. Really, like in, in the sense that they're not just circles. They look like right. this weird. Well, people bend to coming it. coming from DK two, I think, can expect a larger looking lens. Yeah, they yeah. did. Brendan did say. That FOV was a priority for them. Wide here. FOV. So I wonder if it's larger than than Crescent Bay because they didn't mention what it was. It was interesting because the next thing that they showed were games, and the games, 
I thought a lot of them showed what looked like smaller FOVs, but we were seeing 2D projections of right. 3D virtual reality games, so who knows how, how that stuff happens. Uh, one thing that we did, I did mention on Twitter during the press conference is that the frame rate on a couple of the demos looked kind of choppy, and a couple people who work at Oculus were like, yeah, they're, they're bad in the renders, but they're fine on the on VR. Yeah, it was not, there was VR. no live footage. Yeah. It was all, all pre-recorded. Yes. But I mean, it just I, it always surprises me when you have something that's canned, a and then you rate, show it. It's just, it's, you know, yeah. I was surprised Oops. too. Yep. Yeah. Um, when they when they focus so much on frame rate in the past, it surprises right, me yeah. that they show low frame rate video. I don't think and they didn't mention frame rate at all. They said low persistence. Well, this was you know the Wall Street Journal was there, exactly. right? This is this yeah, like mainstream said, press conference. Crescent Bay runs at ninety hertz. Is that right? Ninety hertz. That's yeah. right. I think ninety hertz is what uh, the new one's going to run at as well. What the consumer version is going to run at as well. Um, so okay, so they're still using the same. The same, so they're still using the inverse of Valve's tracking system. So they're providing reference points on the headset, where Valve is providing re- reference points in the world, um, and it's basically the same problem, just different. Different. It's between a Sony Move controller and a Wiimote um, in terms of where the camera is and where the where the um, uh, the reference point is. Yes, and there are advantages and disadvantages to each, which I think we'll get to when we talk about uh, the input solution. Yeah. Um, uh, games, they brought up developers, they brought up the head of their Oculus Game uh, Studios and their developer relations people. So uh, indie developers, they're putting, a, what is that, a $10 million fund um, to promote development, but of course no terms of that were detailed, uh, whether they would have to make games well, or, you know, for ex- or Oculus exclusive. So, so from talking to people who are actually make indie games a lot of people have jumped on board and kind of done stuff speculatively but the people who I know that have small studios have basically said look we can't there's there's no since there's no installed base for hardware we have no idea what this is going to cost until very recently we didn't know when it was going to come out like they have to they have to spend money with good terms to get games made for this plat these platforms both both Vive Vive yeah. Oculus and Morpheus or there's just not going to be games well, because good terms like, could mean you know we don't you don't need to pay it back but good terms doesn't also mean that it needs to be you know Oculus only. Right, right. I mean, good terms to me says, and and it seems like the different players in the world, at least that we know personally, are aware that making VR better. Like, I would expect timed timed exclusivity, if anything, at the very at, at the, the at the very most generous. at the very. I, I think timed exclusivity is what if I were making a small game and they weren't a hundred percent funding development. That's what I would want. That's what you would want. I right. If they're, if they're, they're 100% get. funding development, it's a whole different thing because then it's a contract job and they can do whatever the hell they want. The, the point is Oculus, like Valve, is seeding the development yeah. community. And yeah. and it will be a it will be a, a software, the content war. Um, like Valve had their, at GDC, had the big plastered wall of logos from partners. Uh, Oculus also had, here are all the partners. They they brought out. Harmonix was on that list. Harm- yes. Well, yes. They've, they've done, they have a VR thing in development. What is it? Uh, I don't think anybody's seen it yet. Hmm. Um, Hold on, that might not be right. Anyway. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, You know, they brought out the CCP guys for Eve Valkyrie. Um, They brought out um, Insomniac Games, Uh, the people who've worked on Gear VR games and have now full-blown titles. Kronos was a new one. And they mentioned things, uh, you know, RTS, FPS, um, sports. Uh, it, it, It was... The, the, from, sorry, the harmonic thing is the music VR game. It's the music visualizer that's on Gear VR soonish. Okay. okay. Um, I think that if you think of this as a E3 press conference and a new platform, 
which in the format felt a lot like that, mm-hmm. to come out with you know four trailers, kind kind of trailers, and without a lot of elaboration, and then just say more stuff will, is coming. I think it was a. a Kind of a weak showing. Well, they, th- yeah, they, and all of the games were all gamepad games. Yes, uh, which doesn't use the new interface that we'll talk about soon. So I, th- I thought for what it's worth, I mean, they showed Eve Valkyrie a fair amount, which is something we've seen before. That trailer is old; we've seen that before. Yes. Um, I feel like, like if you look at the stuff that they showed, either, either showed or or told us was coming, they were covering genres. We have a virtual cockpit space si- space fight game. We have uh, an action RPG in in um, uh, Chronos. We have um, a, uh, like a horror, you know, Jack in the Box kind of game, jump scare kind of game potentially in Edge of Nowhere, which is coming from Insomniac. Uh, Damage Core by High Voltage is a first-person shooter. The VR Sports Challenge is traditional team sports in first-person VR. So football, basketball, soccer, hockey. I think baseball, but I, I didn't didn't baseball catch that. Is definitely mentioned. Um, Esper. I don't know what that was That's at all. That's the Gear VR telekinetic game. Okay. Um, Air Mech is an RTS. Lucky's Tale is a platformer. Um, and then they showed like big and small developers from like Square Enix on down uh, doing doing games like yes. I like. It, this wasn't a hey Microsoft, Sony, or Nintendo are rolling out a new platform, a new console platform at E3 kind of show. This was a but that's what it really felt like they wanted it to be because if we presume because remember the the big hubbub in Wall Street Journal and the mainstream press is you're going to need a, if you have no PC right now, you know to get into virtual reality you'll need fifteen hundred dollar equivalent. Uh, computer next year. Yeah. Uh, the big fear from users is uh, seemingly you know, there's not enough. If you if you invest that money, if you buy VR, there's not enough to do with it. Why am I choosing? And then for people who know VR, you know, why am I choosing Oculus over Vive? I only have 300 bucks or so to spend. You know, I I got to pick a platform. So it really feels like you know from where your money's spent, you want to make sure there's content. And the reassurance they want to give with bringing these people out is that not only are there going to be high quality, you know big, awesome experiences like Eve Valkyrie, but game developers who have a lot of experience are also making VR-only games. Um, but I think the thing they undersold, and there's an opportunity to do that here, and maybe it'll come later, is that, and I think something we know, is that you don't need a lot of game to make a lot, get a lot of, out of VR. The, the sandbox potential is enormous or, or even simple stuff like super hot, right? Like, like arcadey kind of like f- five and 10 minute experiences. The thing that differentiated the stuff that they've shown here today is that these all looked like game games, like game ass video games for people who play video games, Yes, not tech demos or short experiences. However, I was surprised that they didn't trot out a raft of like when they when they told us that this was a two hour event, I expected to spend 45 minutes at least in the middle with like a bunch of big games, a handful of big games and then a whole shitload of small indie titles. And we didn't see that. And it may be just like the PlayStation. Think of the PlayStation 4 press conference where it was really about the games. I don't think they're ready for it yet. I mean, the PlayStation 4 is not ready to talk about games yet either, and that's two years out. It's been out for a year and a half now. So, like, it's... I, games are hard, and I think... And they didn't talk about story, the story experience stuff at all, the kind of stuff that... like You mean Oculus really, story? Oculus story, yeah. the stuff that's been going to push the boundaries of, like, media experience. Storytelling. They didn't talk about, you know, the killer apps of, you know, um, you know cinema and media playback. I mean, they, I know they really wanted to focus on games. Well, they did talk about core. cinema a little bit, but in a different... In a context. Different in the, con- Microsoft, in 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 the Xbox co- streaming it's, context. It's still in a games context. But, I, I mean... I felt like the game demos suffered from the problem that every VR um, yeah. preview is going to suffer from in 2D, which is that it looks like a regular game 
trailer. There's n- you can't communicate the VR experience unless it's a first-person experience that you're actually trying on. In, in my notes here, when Brendan was talking at the very beginning and he was trying to describe the impact that VR has the first time you try it, and, and I, I just wrote, it's really hard to describe VR to somebody who's never tried VR. Like, I'm sitting there nodding yeah. because I know what he's talking about when he say, says you put on the goggles and f- after five minutes you forget that you're not in that world. W- getting people to believe that that's a thing that actually happens without putting the goggles on them, I think is impossible. Right. And that you Valkyrie one, which you can watch on YouTube, it just looks like mouse look. It looks like someone's just playing with mouse look on, yeah. Yeah. as opposed to actually, you know, what you can do. There's no positional tracking, no looking into, you know, look, focusing on. But at least that HUD. one was all in first person. You know, right. most of the game demos that they showed were just third person. Well, and I think that's and they might be third person games. Thir- I think they're third person. But there's games. a lot of strange like floating camera stuff where it's yes. rotating around yes. objects, which well, the do- whole doesn't point. make as much sense in VR. I, and Chronos is the one that really surprised me because Hero Bound, which I love, it's a Gear VR game, and I think it does one of the best Kronos is from uh, Gunfire Games and that's the the, the Hero Bound guys yeah um, one of the, Hero Bound was one of the best gear VR games where you have you're the god view and looking down like a little play field mm-hmm. where your your player moves around and theoretically this in the concept of Kronos with the, the the labyrinth and the the um, the regenerator you know growing old with their character that seemed really cool but the in the video the camera being kind of very traditional game cinematic camera yeah. worried me. And even if it wasn't, the low angle worried me, I too. I think it's because it's, it was made to be a cool trailer and not made to communicate what the VR experience is like. But uh, even I, for a game that's... And both those games, that and the Insomniac one, are VR only. I know. You would think that, that they, yes. would, they could pr- program the... I think it's early days and people haven't figured this out yet. Just the way how to show right. show a VR game, yeah. and you want to show it in the language of the traditional TV and, game. Well, I mean, you want it to be as sexy as possible. I think at E three next week we'll see booths with just banks of of, of riffs set up on them. Yeah, at least Crescent Bay. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I really think like the the big challenge. For me, I think the takeaway from all of this stuff is that the initial Oculus launch will be for the true believers, people who are listening to the podcast and, you know, on our slash Oculus and, you know, read the press releases and read all the analysis and read all the VR focus sites and all that yeah. stuff. And then after they work out the kinks on the guys that are the folks that are the true believers, mm-hmm. we'll see stations set up at, in malls and at Best Buy and GameSpot and stuff like that, or GameStop rather, where people can put on the, the headset. Somebody right walks them through it. Somebody's like a human being is standing there saying, here, you put on the glasses like this. Now, are you comfortable? Yada, yada. The same way that we all had when we went to those first demos in, in, in trade shows. And I think that's, I think that's the onboarding process that has to be good. The, the, this is, this is the stuff that when that Facebook bought, Oculus, I said, oh, good. Somebody has the money to make this actually work in the real world for real people and not just nerds, which, you know, nerds are great. I love nerds. I'm a nerd. But but if we want this to be a thing that people use yeah. the same way they use personal computers and smartphones and tablets and stuff like that, yeah. maybe Where not our moms, sports? but my wife needs to be into VR. Yeah. We Sports is here. That first-person sports game is Wii Sports oh, for this platform. We saw about three seconds of it. We saw less it. than that, and it, it was within the head you of... You were a, a goalie of a hockey team. Yeah. Or, or a ice skater. I don't uh, think yeah, I don't think sports is not the right analogy for this because I don't know I think a goalie a ice hockey goalie is the perfect game yeah man 
or oh. or a baseball. Like I would play a batting cage game if I, if I can go if I can go take pitches from major league pitchers and see what it's like to have a hundred and four mile an hour fastball thrown at me. What if I can pitch to you from my house? I think that's a yeah well, yeah of course. Throw that. Yeah. Make sure you have wear that wrist strap. Yeah, that's what it, <laughs> it does. Yeah, it does right. have a wrist strap. Um, so okay. I, I think it's going to be the social aspect of it, and that's also something we didn't see a lot of. They, they mentioned a lot, but I think the social stuff is really going to be the killer. That's why I want a microphone. So I the weird the weird thing about this though is the way that their sensors work. I don't think you're going to be able to put multiples multiple headsets in one camera field of view. No, no, it'll be multiplayer through the internet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It has to be different rooms probably even. Yeah, and but just to iterate to um, whatever reiterate your point, there are only nerds who own the DK2 so far. We saw sales figures that as we walked in on a big poster. Yeah. And there's only been 120,000 sold to date. And that's past, what, two, two, three years almost? Uh, a year. A year and a half. Yeah, a year and a half. Oh, for the DK2. That's DK2. right. That's right. Um, I, I thought I thought that the mix of games that they focused on was really interesting. Like the 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 fact that they hit a bunch of different genres. They hit stuff that we know works in VR, like the, like the scare games. The haunted houses are terrifying in VR. True. Um, I was surprised we didn't see a driving game, like a more traditional driving game. I don't think driving is going to be... I, I think you underestimate the enthusiasm for people, like people who are hardcore into racing sims, like yeah. the F1 stuff, and even like Euro truck sim and stuff like that. I oh. think that there are people who will sit and play driving games with the oh, goggles no, no. on. I, I think that there's enthusiasm for it, but I think whether you can deliver that kind of speed and be, it be comfortable. Well, that's a, that's a good And that's one of, my, one of my fears of uh, like the sports stuff. Anything where, remember they said there's a comfortable speed in VR for moving, right. the walking speed. But it, it, cars have a natural cockpit, and cockpit games are good in VR. The other thing that they did a good job with was showing a mix of art styles in games. They showed games that were close, not photorealistic, but but striving towards that. And then they also showed games that were very stylized, like that, like the the Kronos game is re- very reminiscent of like Fable Two or something, you know, something like that. Shadows of the Colossus, something that's kind of flat shaded and very stylized and, and interesting looking, but that is definitely not striving toward photorealism, which I think is important. Sneak good lighting, uh, yeah. you know, maximize those shaders, and as long as you get ninety plus FPS. You're all good. Um, so, okay. So now let's talk about hardware. Well, well I, I, I want one more thing. If you think about the selection they showed here and, he, and the people they've partnered with, um, Vive, what they showed with that GDC, a similar but different selection. As someone who's looking forward to what VR can bring and maybe not just selling it to the masses, the Vive demos were way more it's not impressive. fair. It's not fair. Totally different interface. And we also and that's, and that's we didn't ride these demos. We rode the demos at Valve, right? And these are things we saw on a screen for we'll, four, we'll, four and minutes. We'll see it more of it next week. These are all gamepad yeah. demos, and that may come back to bite them. Yes. So the gamepad is the big. It was the big surprise. We knew that there had to be some kind of controller. Yeah. To, to use with Oculus because n- keyboard and mouse is not a great experience. I don't for think VR. The, the game, the actual, they're saying gamepad is the best use. I don't think it's as much a surprise as them partnering with Xbox and Microsoft. So I have a theory about that. Well, yes. Let's, so, let's so let's talk, talk about, about what yeah. we actually announced. So what's in the box? You get the headset, you get the camera, camera and you get an Xbox One gamepad oh. that will work with plus, Windows 10. Plus a dongle. And plus a dongle for wireless control. The dongle is going to be on sale around the Windows 10 release for 25 bucks. Or you can get it yes. with a controller for 80 bucks. And it was previously announced. Previously announced. Uh, so 
a gamepad being their best like starter point for VR games, I don't think it's surprising because they've it's meant they maintained uh, for a long time. It's what they've done did with the uh, Gear VR. It's uh, they said that you know did last you say year it's a, it's a myth they've maintained. No, no, it's it's a uh, it's something they've maintained. Okay, yeah, it's it's a it's the position they've maintained. Yes, um, they said that last year with the DK2 release, it'd be feature complete. People were making gamepad games there. Um, That's right. They said it in interviews. You know, people have pushed them on this the new input solution, and and we did see some of that. But I don't think it's surprising that, and it is a strategic decision um, that the pack in that they pack the in default the, interface yes, is a gamepad is a gamepad. I mean, you, Jeremy, you made a good point about MinSpec being important when you're building stuff. I mean, the the Xbox One is at this point the standard. The Xbox One, PS4 are almost, but not quite, functionally identical. Like the the button, the stick layout is different. Um, the D pads are in different places, but the same buttons, same inputs, same outputs are all there. The only difference between the two is that the PlayStation has that touchpad and uh, uh, an IPD, a gyroscope, and an accelerometer, right. and a light on the front. IMU. IMU, sorry. IPD is the difference between your pupils. Um, and then the, the Microsoft gamepad has vibrating motors in the triggers and has a couple of IR lights under that front shiny spot that uh, the Xbox can use to sync up. Now, the IR lights are interesting to me on a console controller standpoint. So what does this tell us about, what does this partnership with Microsoft tell us about uh, what Microsoft may be thinking, how Microsoft is thinking about VR? Somebody wrote a check, phase one. No, I think that well, well, it means Microsoft's not working on their own internal that's exactly. VR solution. That is, or the if they are, they're partnering with Oculus, and that is a that is a that would be a huge thing. But I mean, it's pretty well established at this point that neither of the current gen consoles are going to have anywhere near the horsepower that Oculus is saying you're going to need for. If Oculus is saying you're going to need a fifteen hundred dollar PC to run VR games in twenty Q two twenty sixteen. Q1 2016, the three, the Xbox One and the PS4 are incapable of that. Um, I mean, they're just talking about different requirements. From our conversations with the Sony Morpheus team, they are confident and they're doing you know, the frame rate doubling thing. You know, there will be compromises, and it just means that they have different um, floors for what performance is. And, and it could mean the rendering at lower resolutions, and, and instead of doing oversampling, you know, maybe the, the games that would be made for PlayStation will require less re- text reading. There's, um, there's also nothing saying that Sony isn't using offboard processing to do Morpheus stuff. I don't think that you're, they're going to make you buy a new PlayStation. For I don't Morpheus. think they'll make you buy a new PlayStation, but they might make you buy a box that plugs into the PlayStation that plugs into the Just Morpheus. For graphics? Graphics? Just for graphics, yeah. I would be shocked. I mean, you haven't spent a lot of time playing games on those consoles. I, Their I, performance I, is underwhelming. I mean, so either that, it's either that or we're going to see PlayStation 4 Morpheus games that are, that are low-res well, okay, the demo that we saw at E3, uh, was E3 GDC uh-huh. for Morpheus, the one that was uh, running at really high frame, I believe 120 yep. hertz inside the dark room with uh-huh. the lighting stuff. Not a lot of polygons needed. It wasn't a big expansive You're talking about the area. London Heist thing? No, no, not the London Heist thing. The the one where they had the, the precision accuracy of the controller. Oh, um, so so the thing about those Morpheus demos is that the cable comes out of the PlayStation 4, if you even see the PlayStation 4 there, goes into a box, and then the cable comes out of the box and goes to the Morpheus. I mean, that's, it's, I'm just, this is something uh, that people have noticed and. I, I, right. I, it, I like, have graphics hardware in there. Oof. Anyway. The implication of that would be disastrous for a, a launch. It'll be $500, it'll be a $500 thing instead of a, or $800 thing instead of a $500 thing. Anyway, this is it, off topic. It, uh, we'll, we'll maybe know more oh, about this by this time Jesus. next week. Okay. Um, anyway. 
Xbox, what X, what this means for Xbox. So yes. uh, Windows 10, they obviously want to push gaming on Windows. Yeah, so you, so in order to use the wireless dongle, you have to have uh, Xbox, Windows 10. Like, it doesn't work with Windows 8 or 8.1 I thought this 7. was an interesting p- uh, pitch, that they were tying this into the uh, game streaming. Yeah, so then the other part of it is that you can now stream your games from your Xbox One in your house into a virtual cinema on the Oculus. You can do that on Windows 10, I think even right now, with the Xbox app on full Windows 10. Full screen on desktop. Full screen on or desktop, minimum, or, or window, 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 whatever. Um, but what they're saying is you'll be able to project that same stream into the virtual cinema app on an oculus which sounds like it's kind of something i might do but it doesn't sound awesome you know what oh. would be awesome is if is the multiplayer component yes like if you and could, they said that if you could sit next to somebody and, and yes. be in the same room with someone and yep. play a side-by-side multiplayer like game. when we used to watch netflix stream but yep. but like rather than having a quarter of the screen to look at or half the screen you get your own screen so th- this is yeah. what they said uh well our, our assumption is that this virtual cinema and to explain it better it's just like the oculus cinema now where you're in a rendered living room and you know, render or, real time or the moon or and, a movie theater or, or, or whatever yeah. they should the, the short clip they showed was some living room environment with real-time lighting and the stuff they've done with oculus cinema where what the lighting from the the gameplay affects the lighting in the room to give the illusion that you're actually playing it in a, a real space that i think is gonna be rendered locally so you lose you, you avoid the uh the head tracking nausea problems of latency with streaming you're still going to get some latency because it's rendered off-site and then put over a network but that latency is just as much latency as you would get even less than yeah. if you did like you know uh on live you know, nvidia grid if, if, the, or, the tech does not seem that difficult it's yeah. just a video stream if exactly like watching a movie I, yes. i've done a lot of like game streaming inside my house if you have an ac router you can do it over wireless if you have wired connection it's no problem like yeah. it's it's it was like using the playstation tv bloodborne wasn't great everything else like stuff that's super twitchy and super timing dependent yeah didn't work great but like just playing a platform or something like that no problem you know what microsoft could do is down res the game too they don't need to stream such a high res bit rate or high bit rate because it was it didn't fill full screen no i mean you know it's gonna be yeah. a lot less pixels than if you watched it full screen right. um and uh but they did say to your point about the social aspect and i think this is really why they're doing it um that these people sitting in the room, other people wearing VR headsets. Again, it can be asynchronous where not everyone needs to see the exact same thing in their virtual cinema on screen, so you're not doing a split screen. Um, but they said seeing your friends in there mm-hmm. in, directly. So I think this is the, you know, the ava- talk about the future, getting avatars, your avatar in a virtual environment, whether it's the living room or cinema, mm-hmm. and then being able to do some interaction with friends, so the even only, gesturally in voice. The only problem with the virtual, virtual living room, A, a just to be clear, in order to get that experience, you're spending a ludicrous amount of money on hardware. You're buying you're an Xbox, about a, you're PC, buying a PC, an Xbox, an Oculus, uh, networking infrastructure in your house. Like that's a ton of money. However, I don't see the problem. <laughs> I, I, I understand you're already pot committed. You don't have the Xbox yet, but there's time. That's true. Um, the the big thing for me, it, it just seems a little ludicrous to me to spend a shitload of money on an Oculus and a big ass gaming PC to play shitty Xbox One low resolution games on your on your you know streamed across your network instead of just going in and sitting in front of the 1080 TV. But that's that's a that's a philosophical question. The thing to me is that if you're not tracking people's hands, they're just going to be a bunch of avatars 
avatar is sitting with their hands in their laps, maybe turning their heads from yes, side to yep. side, moving I, their shoulders. I had my yep. fingers crossed that they would say, and this is a special gamepad with IR LEDs inside. Well, so right. so this here's the thing: the Xbox One controller has IR LEDs in it on the front. On the front, yeah. Microsoft literally just announced at the same time they announced the wireless dongle. They announced a spun new spin of the Xbox controller with a headphone jack. And when they're doing a new version of the controller, there's nothing to say they couldn't have jammed some more stuff in there. We'll know more hopefully next week at E3. We're going to go talk to them about controllers, I hope. But it doesn't have an IMU, an accelerometer. We don't know that either. They could attack that on. IMUs are cheap now, right? Yeah. So... I would, it w- I think it would be unlikely, but if you think back on the PS3 era, Sony be a big deal to not have that, to, to not have <clears throat> my, uh, Xbox games take advantage of that or Xbox anything take advantage of that. They're not, gonna, that but in. they have a min spec, so they're not going to break their min spec, right? If this is a real serious, deep, long term partnership, then there's nothing to say Microsoft couldn't have changed the mm-hmm. the the internal bits and pieces to work better with the Oculus. Yeah. It, it may not even be anything complex. It may just be that they change the frequency of the IR LEDs or you know. Set up, put hardware, put put software on the firmware that lets them blink the right way or something. You know, who knows? Um, but there's it's there's a lot of possibility with a new version of that and this being announced at the same time. Now, this obviously I, is beneficial yeah. for both Oculus and Microsoft on the desktop side. If people own Xbox, you get a little more enhanced experience. It's standardized controllers. Uh, how does this benefit Xbox on the couch side? I don't think it does at all. I mean, it means that you can play your Xbox games not in your living room. I guess I don't know. And there's, uh, it'll sell some Xboxes. It, it 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 gives Microsoft a thing to say, hey, we're working with Oculus on VR on the E3 press conference next week. Will any of their, well, I wonder if they'll expand this eventually. If in a year or two there will be Xbox games that support VR that are streamed straight to an Oculus. I can't imagine that they would do that because the latency across the network is going to kill you. It's too little? Yeah. Yeah. too much. An extra 5 or 10 milliseconds is going to be bad when they're talking about sub-7 milliseconds, sub-10 milliseconds. The thing thing that stood out to me is when they announced the Xbox controller, like there was a lot of clapping, really loud clapping from people who are apparently Facebook and Oculus employees in the room. There were, yeah. And there were a couple of gasps. Now, hold on. There were, I think that there is an argument for, to be made, that developers want this oh, I, because there's no controller that ships on the PC. So at, if you're making a game, you have to assume people have a keyboard. So you ha- kind of have to support that. Then you hope they might have a gamepad, but you can't bet on it. This is the gamepad that you know the platform of VR ships with. Like, yeah, you could say the, the same thing even for Steam. You know, Steam VR presumably Vive's going to ship with a lighthouse controller, yeah. but no guarantee everyone will have a Steam controller. I think, That's even a tougher thing to get people to adopt. Yeah. So now, but you, I think they're going to ship everything with the with the handheld things. I think the Vive comes with the handheld things. Yes, I, I, yes yeah, and that's the different. Just some different so that'll specs. be the default controller but, yeah. for those but games. For traditional, tra- quote unquote, traditional gaming, gamepad gaming, you know, having uh, a min spec that right. isn't just ubiquitous for all Oculus. Users, but it's the same min spec for console and you know PC gaming. Uh, I think is an, on on the gamepad side is the best thing we could have hoped for. I think the min spec. I, okay, just to be clear, definitely adopting Xbox One controllers is better than Oculus trying to build their own traditional gamepad, wasting a ton of resources on making something that's kind of shitty but okay. Yeah, right. Sure. Um, I just think that the min spec for PC gamepads is probably the Xbox 360 gamepad. Mm-hmm. It's been around for a long time. Every, literally, I can't imagine that anybody that's in the market for an expensive ass VR headset isn't going to already have 360 controllers. Like, I feel like 360 compatible controllers are probably the 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 PC 
equivalent of the MinSpec. Although I do get your point about having the thing bundled in, probably makes it a little bit easier for developers to do stuff. Guarantee, and it will let them take advantage of things like the rumble triggers and all the the yep. one off features the that the, 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 the Xbox controller. So the question mark is whether they're actually doing something more with those game pads than the game pads can do on on the console. Right. If they're if they're using the IR LEDs to track your hand, like even roughly track your hand position, that that is that gives them something that you couldn't get with a PS4 controller or Xbox 360 controller. I don't know, man. I think you need a gyro in there for any kind of decent accuracy. I, I would think so too, but I don't know. We'll see. Um, but because we did talk about social and some of the interface stuff, um, before we talk about touch, uh, they did show the new Oculus Home. It looks very similar. They said interface was something they had been working on for a long time. Gear VR, that Oculus version of Oculus Home, which they've iterated on, uh, it seems like they're sticking with that. The version that they showed had like Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, and battery level indicators in the top left top. corner, yep. which makes me think that it's probably they have it running on Gear VR right now. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, Good catch. On the right side, you have a friends list, so you're, they're still. I mean, you can read text in that no problem right now. Uh, so you have, well have a friends list, you can launch from that. But they did also announce a desktop version of Oculus Home, um, so you can buy games, um, you know, adjust manage your friends, friends list, list, launch games, uh, and manage all your stuff. The cool thing was that. Uh, what are you talking about for buying the games right now? They're, they're a version of demos. Which was? Which was when you select a game and you go into that menu, the environment that surrounds that floating HUD becomes the VR environment of the game. I want to know more details about that. Yes. Is it a 2D panorama? I don't think so. I think it's an actual 3D environment. That would be great. Uh, That's really cool. So if it's a, th- it makes most sense for games like Homebound RTS. Like if you imagine, if you're in, if you want to buy like a Homebound style game, um, but you don't know. You know what that means. I mean, I'm su- I assume developers will get to choose and have, maybe have some limitation for how big these little f- these files can be yeah. to download and render. Um, but you can imagine controlling the little character, getting some some practice with what that control feels like, or some part aspect of the environment. I don't know how that worked with first person stuff, uh, but it's a really neat way to build in to make the UI take advantage of UI, uh, the VR. I would like to see panoramic stereoscopic video previews. You know, now that Google can do that, right? I would hope that that would trickle down to again media, not something this. you really touched on. Um, Anna, Anna Sweet, who's the head of developer strategy, which I think is something like developer relations or something like that, d- pointed out that Unity and Unreal support is free and easy. Um, and then that she said that there's going to be a big revamp for Oculus Share coming soon. And that's the website where devs can upload stuff for people to try. Yeah, it's, it's like if you want to find out what's new and hot on Oculus, it's the place to go. That's not a message board or a website. Yeah, yeah on the um, Unity front, they just released uh, 5.1 last week. Oh, really? Which uh, includes out of the box, free, complete, you know, turnkey uh, Oculus support. That's awesome. Yep. Um, okay, so let's talk about touch because touch. Uh, okay, release info. The headset. The the um, the Xbox One controller and the dongle will be available Q1 2016, which we already knew. With pre-orders coming sometime later this year. No price, um, no actual release date, no no further elucidation about PC specs. They did say that they've been working with ATI and NVIDIA, which is which is good. We'd heard a lot about NVIDIA's VR stuff. We haven't heard that much about ATIs, right. so that's that's promising. Do you want to um, speculate on price? It's going to be a million dollars. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's no three hundred. Oh guess. wow! I'm guessing twice that. They've said they want to keep costs as low as possible. Great, and I mean, as close to build costs as possible, mm-hmm. and that's one of the advantages of Facebook. Well, and and running their own store. Plus, I, they said fifteen. Remember, fifteen hundred bucks is 
for the men's that's true, that's is true. God including be computer. That. All right. So oh, so you know, 15, you know, yeah, wait, fifteen hundred bucks includes the goggles. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. so then five hundred bucks. It's all in price. Or three hundred bucks. I don't know. It doesn't yeah. matter. <laughs> I'm going to buy I guess, it. I guess you can buy a PC and not have a monitor, and and factor that into the computer. I'm sure they're not counting the cost of a monitor. Yeah, no one can factor. All right, I'm going to say three hundred too. I'm going to say three hundred. I think I think three hundred is a. I mean, this is the benefit of them running their own store because then they can take the thirty percent that they make on sales of all the stuff that comes down the line, and and they can sell razors instead of sell blades instead of razors. Also, New fabric, Vive, yeah. <laughs> fabric. Uh, HEC and, and Seam had said that Vive would be on the higher end, and so my my guess is three hundred for Oculus, well, five hundred yeah. for Vive. For ships Vive. a lot more interesting hardware too. Yes, more expensive sensors. Um, so okay. Touch. The big thing is touch. This is their VR contr- VR native controller. Tesla's pet project. And this was like a, almost a one more thing. This was, they, 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 they said did not literally. This was, did. He did? Yeah. He literally oh. said This was the last thing, thing they this was, this was. I'm going to go ahead and say this. This is uncontroversial. This was the best one more thing I saw this week. <laughs> Far and away. Wow. Uncontroversial. That's right. Uh, so input. Uh, you know, people had given Oculus some grief about not showing anything input at GDC. Um, by then, Vive had been shown. Uh, we talked ex- extensively about ex- uh, extensively about what VR input means for the VR experience, what the Vive Lighthouse controllers uh, mean for that experience. And so we had hoped for some type of non-gamepad novel input system, you know, whether that was finger tracking, you know, some type of skeletal tracking, or no, physical controllers. And what we got was physical controllers. Did you really hope for skeletal tracking? Well, I not hope, but whether that would be. Oh. Okay. Something because that puts they, your limbs into virtual reality. The rumor about the camera being on the front of the oh, by the way, no camera that we saw on the front of the of the Oculus. Correct. Did seem to be a, a, a distance sensor inside the headset. Proximity sensor. Proximity sensor. There were images that leaked from the website two days ago. That, yeah. That did have a little something on the front of the headset that right. the final unit does not have. And those leaks now can safely say we put that behind us. Like the, the speculation it's lasted two days, and there was no. It was fun. Palmer, it was fun. It Palmer was said, "Have fun." Looking at these. <laughs> Oculus Rift fun. 2, guys. That's uh, what it's going to yeah. be. Oculus Rift 2 is going to be a step back yep. with a, a little uh, handheld a media controller. Okay, so, so what's the touch? So uh, this is the, called a the, their half-moon prototypes, and I presume that they're both hmm. clever for the shape and also they're close to Half-Moon Bay, Facebook offices. Okay. Um, waka waka. Waka waka. Uh, they look like, effectively, they look like uh, Wii nunchucks. Oh, they're way smaller than that. The functionally look like wee nunchucks with this ring around that wraps around your finger. If you look at them, wraps around your hand. Wraps around your hand. If you look at them without seeing how someone use them, it would, my first thought was, "What are these, are these things that you wear around your wrist?" I couldn't tell how you hold them. It yeah. would take me a second to figure out how to pick that up. So exactly, he, here's the thing: if you look, if you want to picture them in your head, a the easiest thing to do is go to test it and look at the pictures on the website. The second easiest thing to do is to imagine hold your hands in a neutral position with your index fingers kind of pointed toward each other, right? Something that rests exactly in that in that negative space. Like you're holding, nunchuck. A, holding yeah. a couple guns. Holding, but it's it look they look much more comfortable than we nunchucks. Oh we nunchuck is probably probably close. Maybe yes. a little bit I don't smaller mean the stick, than that. Nunchuck. Yeah I was thinking about the Wii mode. No, no no think about the Wii nunchuck and then a, a ring that goes around your trigger finger. Only the index finger pokes through the ring. A, the ring that goes around a ring of sensors. Yeah, it goes around the whole hand. No, it, it goes only his only finger f- trigger was trigger protruding. It was it was coming straight out above to the side. So 
it was coming out under where your thumb goes to rest the, the, the thumbstick and going around and making a half circle that maybe your, your middle finger's knuckle tucked into, but mostly your index finger poked through. Okay. Um, so the controller... The it's, controller not, it's, not a, it's not a ring. It's, 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 big, for, it's big enough for it's your a loop. Well, it's a loop. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. a circle. It's um, this, the maybe loop was bigger say, than a Coke can. Let's say four inch diameter. Smaller, like if you take your finger fingers index, this is we're doing a terrible job. <laughs> that's with four this. inch <laughs> diameter. Yeah, that's a, that seems fair. Um, on that ring, they had a bunch of IR LEDs that were naked and exposed on the prototypes that they had here. Um, there also was a thumbstick, a couple of normal digital digital looking buttons, two buttons, thumbstick, which maybe a button also, probably also is a clicky thumbstick at this point, I would think, and then two right. triggers, one for the index finger and one for the middle finger. Yeah. They called that middle finger the hand sense hand hand button. Is that what they called it? I wrote it down in the article, but I can't remember. Palmer said that was the trigger you would use to pick things up. Yes. So if you went down and grabbed a box from the floor, you would grab the, you would squeeze the lower trigger. They called it the, the hand, hand trigger. trigger. Yeah. On the palm, and it's doesn't. It's not like you're gripping like a, a stapler or like you know like a, a paddle. It's not a paddle. You held it. Yes. Right? It's not a paddle. It literally is conformed for your middle finger, and so you can still grip this you know nunchuck, uh, we nunchuck like thing with your bottom two fingers yeah. while having it's and in that per, in that demo pretty loose trigger. It wasn't like I wouldn't. It, it wasn't not a lot, a lot of you, not a lot of resistance you, at all. You said that those things were very light though. I I think that they looked they didn't have any external port for like charging or anything like that. So either they're using inductive charging or they're not, it's, they got months before they're done. Yeah. Or it's prototypes that are empty. Right. The prototypes, you'd see a little lip for where you can pry it open and you have to put in batteries yeah. or, or put some charge or something. Um, but the point is that they are, you know, if you think, imagine holding a wee nunchuck on each of your hands, mm-hmm. your hands are in this gri- are gripping an object that's a very natural grip, almost like just a, a small a handle of a snub nose pi- pistol. Uh, you have a trigger, you have the thumbsticks. Those are natural gaming things. Your thumb is very versatile, so you have two stick action. Uh, you have t- two buttons: A, B, X, Y. A, B on the right hand, X, Y on the left hand, and then the paddle, the the, the hand trigger for gripping makes so much sense. And I'm glad they didn't try to force you to do like a big, like all finger grasp, mm-hmm. and they just tied it to your middle finger grasp. And that's something that the Lighthouse controller actually doesn't have. Any grasping we did, you use your index demo, it was the trigger finger. Yeah. And so the adding the extra button, I think, was a really brilliant thing. So the interesting thing, there's there's two conversations to have here. One is about the verbs and that you use when you're describing video games. So the thing that I when when you say there's a way to pick something up and then pull a trigger. I mean, that immediately makes me think, oh, this is a gun thing. The The way you have that similar interaction on the Vive would be that you picked it up with your thumb, I think. Like that touchpad under your thumb, you would reach down and, and pick it up with that. Well, think Because the, there weren't any guns in the Vive demo, right. I don't think. Think of the PlayStation, the Move one. The Move has a trigger, <laughs> and then the Move demo, the gun was kind of like stuck to your hand. Well, no, right. no. Remember, you could pick it up with the trigger, and then once you release that trigger, it became that the same trigger was repurposed into shoot exactly. pew So it's kind of, at that point, it just stuck. It's just a part of yeah. your hand. Um, but you could no, switch them from hand to hand, right. theoretically. If I tap by tapping, but there's no kind of like holding element required, mm-hmm. action required. What this, with these two triggers, having a trigger and a, a hand trigger does, is that you can have the action of holding and then a trigger, and you can release the hand trigger to drop something. Mm-hmm. 
which I think adds that ex- adds an extra layer of interaction. Or you could even use it. You could even do the sticky gun and use the hand trigger to drop a clip. You know, pick up the exactly. other one, jam it in. Yes, all that kind of stuff. Like yep. that's those are the kind of interactions. I mean, I know we're talking about guns, but the same thing applies for like chopping food in the cooking simulator, or you know, uh, remember that episode of Star Trek where Data had to pull all the chips in and out, and I think yes. you could do that. Like you could do all of those things with these controllers. Isolinear chip. Isolinear chip simulator. Is that the yeah. game? Is that the game you want? No. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, you know what? And that's a game I don't think you do with this. I think you can only do that with Vive. Because pres- uh, of absolute posi- uh, positional accuracy. Well, I think that they'll have positional accuracy with this, although inside the cone of field of the camera. Cone of vision of the so, camera. So, okay. Uh, one last thing before we actually talk about the, the big issue of positional accuracy and how this difference really differs from Vive is that there's the ring also, in addition to serve two purposes, I think. It has the IR lights, two rows of IR lights, or columns, you can call them, around the ring for... Um, um, for tracking mm-hmm. of this controller because your hand is occluding um, most of it. Um, but also, there's a, I think there's a sensor inside the ring which can track uh, limited gestural movements. You fingers. think? Finger gestures. Finger gestures. You said gestures? Oh, yeah. yeah so dude. thumbs up, pointing. Yeah. That's why you, when you... That's why oh, the, I missed that. That's why I that, said <laughs> you didn't mention that in your article. I called that out, man. Um, oh, I thought, I thought you were talking about like wiggling the thumbs. No, no, no. So inside... So again, if you look at the picture of the ring, outside the ring makes sense. You need that out... You need the, yeah. some type of outer things to contract. But inside, which I don't think you could see... I think it will track, you know, a finger pointing. Yeah. And a finger, th- he said a thumbs up, he said a point, he said a, he did a middle finger. There's only so many things you can do without dropping the controller. Right. That's a ton of stuff to put inside you know, that little tiny thin thing. He signed, he signed two fingers, basically, uh, or po- pointing is probably the most useful thing. Yeah. But, and that that is like... So that's, like, if you're in the space with another person's avatar, they'll be right. a- a- they'll actually be able to gesture to you. And that's, even- that, and that's can be abstracted. This is like that, that right. you know, skeletal modeling where it could be almost, you know, not exactly binary, but you don't need to know exactly where all the joints in your finger are. All you need to know is that, oh, the person is extending a finger, so let's make the avatar extend the finger. Which finger, though, Norm? That yeah. matters. That's right. I only need one finger for the gestures I make in video games. Well, maybe that's a, a UI thing that you can just tweak. It's an interesting thing. That, is, which finger that's, is it? That's, that's definitely something that remains to be seen. I, I look forward to learning more about yes. that. Yes, hand presence is uh, what they, were, <laughs> they called it. That's what they called it. There were no live demos of using this device. No. I, I don't think these were working devices. Wireless, <laughs> low latency, 60 degrees of freedom. Certainly they have a um, sure. Has their constellation I mean, tracking, pretty. so it is the IR system, presumably... There's an IMU, of course, inside it. Uh, there's haptics. So they some, said there's some, an IMU inside it. Mm-hmm. Okay. They said some type of some type of feedback. Uh, the text finger poses, so you can recognize pointing, waving, thumbs up were the things. And the demo they're going to show E3 is called Toy Box, which is their social experience. And I think that's going to be like multiplayer, two person pointing at things, interacting with boxes, making up blocks, stacking blocks, all and that kind of stuff. That I think is going to be the killer app. The killer I do app. too. Like if you, what, unfortunately, that, it's not in the box. You're not going to be able to. This does not come so, with the hey, Oculus Rift. Hey, guys. Yeah. Do you know what else Microsoft has that would be awesome in VR? Connect. Minecraft. Yeah. Oh, uh-huh. oh yeah. Yep. And, and you know what? Connect is something that you add that sensor plus the Connect sensor. Yeah. All, all that data helps. I don't, um, I don't know that people are going to be really enthusiastic about embracing the Connect sensor at this point. Well, the skeletal modeling. So yeah. this is what's where I think uh, positional tracking really, really matters. Uh, with the constellation system, if it works anything like the IR and, and sensor and camera system in DK2 in Crescent Bay, uh, you have a conal, conical view from the camera. Mm-hmm. 
the lights blink at different rates, so the camera system can see the lights, can kind of abstract where the lights are in relation to each other in the fixed object. But that's only within the object itself. So Oculus knows where the lights are on its headset. It knows where all the lights are on touch. So touch will can you know if you move your head, it'll know whether you're the, the front of your head's turning or versus the back of your head. That's fine. But how can this know because it is just a one camera system, non stereo? How can it know where the head is headset is relative to touch? Because the it's the. What do you mean relative to touch? They, they, as long as the lights on touch are rigid and it sees more than two or three lights, it can model each of them independently. That's no but problem. But how can it have millimeter positional, positional accuracy for both of those? It's the same way that Valve does with the other thing. It's just backwards. So they're seeing, they see codes. The codes are, to code, the, the pulses of the lights are coded according to time, right? This is a technical question. Yeah. I, I think if I don't I, think, I think Norm is on to something here though. I, I it's possible that it's not quite as accurate. I don't I don't I don't understand why that would be actually. Well, as it, long as you have multiples from the same object it should be fine. Cuz we're it's talking just like about GPS. Okay, if you think about the, the GPS way. Yeah. The GPS way is on on Vive, let's start there cuz that's what we that's a known quantity right now. Uh, you have let's say five sensors a minimum, right? Mm-hmm. Five of the ca- each and each sensor is a camera. The camera's looking at lasers, and you're getting five input, five. But the camera's not looking at the lasers. The camera is taking is is collecting input from the lasers, and that those can measure distance. That input is coded and timed. So So as long as the time is synced up, it knows the distance Mm -hmm. from from each point. And so the accuracy you're getting there is. Mm Depending on how fast the lasers are spinning, how fast the the photodiodes are are receiving, you're getting incredible amount of time of of photon to laser precision. And the positional accuracy comes in when you compound that data, and so you get um, when you combine the the, the trilateration, trilateral whatever it's called, um, with three or more, five or more uh, to to figure out where that object is relative to the, uh, the lighthouse. But you can do the same thing the other way. There's no reason you can't do it the other way. If the codes, if the pulses on the lights are coded by time and by light position, so it knows that this is, that this is light number seven and it's, it came out 335 milliseconds ago. I don't know how fast. I have no point of scale here, so that might be a really, really, really slow. But, but it'll, it'll be able to tell the distance on three of them that can triangulate. Right. But you are limited by the resolution of that IR camera. Yeah, and the z distance between that and the camera may not be as submillimeter accurate as a laser would be. As a laser, exactly. We're talking about blinking IR lights, where you get you know pulsing lights. It, we're talking about a subtle difference. I think you're. You I think I mean? you're. I understand. Yeah, but I think, er, when you, people try the Vive, people talk about how people hand them the controller and it's mm-hmm. exactly where they thought it would be. Yeah. I hope that that Oculus has nailed this and it's exactly the same experience. Well, I think this controller is going to be harder to grab just because of its weird I just, shape. I just hope it's in the exact same position I, is what I think. And is. orientation I, and right here's r- relative position. Here's the thing. I think the difference, the big difference here is that the Oculus system breaks down the further you get from the camera because of the resolution of the camera. And whereas is, the lighthouse is no problem as long as you're in the room and you can see two lighthouses. And so, so you have much bigger area of coverage with lighthouse and with the two lighthouse system, as opposed to the one camera system, you're talking about full room coverage. Occlusion matters less, even though it's still a factor. Whereas in Oculus, it's a conical view. I think that stuff will matter much more if we ever get to wireless. I think with wires, it's well, you the don't wires are the, the room. We're not hmm? going to get to walk around the room. 
I'm, I don't think any of us are going to get to walk around the room because I don't think any of them are going to have a 20-foot cable. You guys will have an answer to this next week. They'll yeah. have demos at E3, right? Did they Presumably. talk about that? The, they said the toy box demo will be at E3. Yeah. Great. So, so you'll know. touch will be at E3. Great. I want to know the answer to this. My speculation is that it, they're going to not do the you you know like the um, they won't hand it to you they won't hand it to you and say pick it up well the demo which even the uh, the magnetic system um, uh, the the stem stem system uh, success of stem system yeah which has directly you know millimeter precision accuracy they they did it do with the hand up to you thing. It wasn't it, as good. It wasn't even that good. And I think yeah. that, that was better than what Oculus could show with IR tracking. Oh, well, I think... You'll see. I, I mean, I, know, I get what your, your point about the resolution of the sensor. I think if you're looking at optimizing a CMOS sensor for resolution versus um, like picture quality, you can do a lot of crazy stuff since all they need is a, is a, is a grayscale image out of this thing with the pulse codes for the, for the IR LED. Oculus has nailed every technology yeah, that they've released. They've, they've so been good. I'm sh- I, I, I would bet on this, but I'm concerned and I look forward to your review. Um, okay. Release. I think that's it. That's everything from Oculus. That, I think that seems like everything. It's a big VR minute. The, it was the hour and 10 minute VR minute. 75 yes. minute. Um, are we ready to, are we ready for, uh, to should take I play, a short break? Should and, I, um, no, let's, let's, let's talk about some other stuff and then we'll come back and talk about WD, WWDC. Can I just add an addendum to the VR minute? There's a VR game on Kickstarter. Should we just go in there to do that? I, oh. I don't know. Oh, okay. Sorry. May I? Yeah, go ahead. There's a, there's a game on Kickstarter I want to plug because it's not getting enough attention. It's called Faceted Flight. It's a polygonal, uh, low-res VR cockpit game made by an ex-Valve guy. Real low, you know, indie game. And uh, check it out if you have a DK. Pilot Wings. What's it called VR? again? Called Faceted Flight. And it's Kickstarter's live now? Yeah, yeah. It's got 21, game, uh, 21 days left, um, but he needs to raise some more money. I want to play it, so back it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, let's talk about other stuff first. Okay. Um, okay, we'll talk about WWC in a minute, but in, in deference to the people who don't want to hear a bunch of Apple nonsense, let's talk about the DARPA Robotics Challenge, where Norm oh, and I yeah. went last weekend. That's right. You were, um, you were digging that. Dude, huh? it was awesome. We, uh, we talked a little bit about this uh, on the Stolen Title, but uh, for people who listen to this only a test, Will and I and Joey were at the DARPA Robotics Challenge finals Norm? in Pomona uh, Friday and Saturday. What's and the DARPA Robotics Challenge finals? So uh, this is the culmination of a, a three-year Syria challenge that DARPA, which is the research branch of the U.S. military, set up kind of to explore future technologies, in res- and, and specifically this one, in response to the Fukushima accident, the nuclear reactor. So the, the one of the things that happened in Fukushima and after the meltdown was that there was a hydrogen buildup inside the containment domes, but the area at which you could go turn, a, like where you had to go to turn a valve to um, to release the hydrogen, because so, hydrogen's explosive. Yes. Um, th- like one spark would cause that to explode, but the area was too hot for people to be in for long enough to get the work done. So somebody would go in, they'd spend th- five minutes in there, and then they'd have their lifetime dosage of radiation and have to go out. Out or risk dying very soon or getting bad tumors, all sorts of horrible stuff. Also a Star Trek scenario. Yes. I have and always will be your friend. So 
the upshot of this was that the Fukushima, uh, the the DARPA Robotics Challenge, created the finals to mimic this scenario. Hmm. Um, so they had a bunch of robots co- uh, designed over the last what three years or something. Yep. Um, In different stages of the composition trials right. to kind of limit it, uh, kind of narrow it down to these teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, twenty four teams, and they fund twenty uh, twenty four teams, I think. They funded. Um, they they gave grants to some of these people. They uh, some of them were just robotics companies, robotics labs. Some of them were like hobbyists who were building cool robots, or people who are engineers by day and do other things the rest of the time. Um, th- they brought their robots to to Pomona, and uh, that's pretty much that. Like they 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 follow this course. So the course is interesting. The course is uh, a five hundred meter walk or drive. Presumably to be from the safe zone to the to the entrance of the plant, um, that the robot must navigate autonomously. The robot must navigate autonomously. They can either get into like a four wheel drive vehicle. Doesn't matter how they get there. They well, just have to get there. They they get more points if they drive the vehicle. I think. Oh, cool. Um, so they have to drive the vehicle. They open a door. They go in. They flip a breaker. They pull a lever. They turn a valve. They drill a hole in the wall. Um, they traverse some rubble. They climb some stairs, or they clear some rubble and then walk down a, a cleared path, and then uh, basically that's it. Huh? So can they drop gear when they don't need it? Like if they drill the hole, can they leave the drill? The drill is on a shelf next to them, or they could just use their hands and punch through the wall. <laughs> um, really? Yeah. Holy crap! So one of them, one of the people we talked to, the Robo Simeon people, said, "Yeah, we looked at it and we were like, you know, we could probably just put our hand up there and just punch through the punch through the drywall with the claws, like claw that's it out." Awesome. Um, it's super good. The videos will be up, I think, uh, in a couple of weeks. Is yes. that right? Yep. Um, and it was the you can see the finals on DARPA's Robotics Challenge right now. If you type in DARPA Robotics Challenge 2015, it's definitely worth checking out. Um, I thought that they were super cool. Was anyone successful? Yeah. Well, it's all point based, and the South Korean team won. The interesting thing was that they won not using one of the Boston Dynamics Atlas robots that were donated to eleven of the teams. Yeah. Or loaned, not loaned. donated. A lot of there were there was a mix of teams. Some people had built completely from scratch. Some of these were robots that were like bipedal humanoid robots or quadrupedal non-humanoid robots that had been in development for a while that were then adapted to this challenge. Um, and then the Boston Dynamics that the teams using the Atlas robots were basically just software challenges. Hmm. So they were writing software for an existing platform that had the capability to do what they needed to do. It was super interesting and really informative. We'll we'll talk more about it after the videos are up because um, it's it's worth talking about. It. And we also talked about it. For length on Still Untitled this week. Uh, But now, let's take a short word from our sponsors. Would you classify yourself as a geek, gamer, or pop culture nerd? Then Loot Crate Crate is the subscription box for you. For less than $20 a month, you get six to eight items of gamer and pop culture licensed gear, apparel, collectibles, unique one-of-a-kind items, and more. Make sure to head to lootcrate.com slash test and enter code test, that's T-E-S-T, to save $3 on any new subscription. Every month, there's a different theme, and you're guaranteed $40 or more of items all curated around that theme. The themes are inspired by classic movie and video game releases, as well as pulling from pop culture franchises. Previous crates have included items from franchises like Star Wars, Marvel, The Walking Dead, The Legend of Zelda, and many more. This month, Loot Crate invites you to join the cyber revolution with an assortment of cool, tech-themed collectibles from a wide array of awesome franchises. They're featuring exclusive items from Terminator Genesis, Borderlands 2, and more, including an exclusive t-shirt you won't find anywhere else. Exclusive t-shirt, Norm. 
Basically, Loot Crate is like a friend who knows that you love surprises and surprises you with an awesome present every month. We mentioned they ship to over 13 different countries. You have until the 19th at 9 p.m. Pacific to subscribe and receive that month's crate. When that cutoff happens, that's it. It's over. So go to LootCrate.com slash test and enter code TEST to save $3 on your new subscription today. Thanks for sponsoring. This is only a test. Loot Crate. Thanks. Norman Chen. Yes. You tested the DJI Matrice 100, or at least had some demo time with it. Matrice. Um, Matrice? Matrix? How do you spell it? M-A-T-R-I-C-E. Matrice. 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 Sounds like a French guy's name. Matrice. Hello, Matrice. Mm. Sorry, French people. Oh, boy. Matrix. Uh, so the DJI uh, M100, uh, shorthand for Matrix 100, uh, is a developer platform, and it's a high-end quadcopter with similar functionality as the Inspire One, and price uh, a little higher actually. But uh, it's interesting because it has it's modular. So uh, you can put two batteries on it. You can put a bunch of sensors on it, including a new sensor they're selling called Guidance. And the Guidance system is, I think, the first real uh, collision avoidance, active collision avoidance system we've seen on a high-end quadcopter. What, um, what does that mean? It means that it uses five sensor bars, which have stereo cameras and ultrasonic sensors uh, mounted around this quadcopter so that you can program it. So when it gets close to an object or an object gets within a certain radius from it, it will back away. So this solves one of the problems we see with the autopilot software, at least the ones that we've seen so far, (laughs) where the quadcopter can follow you but has no awareness of any trees or hills or pillars that might be in its way. Does it, does this, uh, do the sensors cover top and bottom too? Can it watch as it's ascending and descending? Uh, There's already a sensor on the bottom because that's what has the sonar, yeah, the sonar and the camera. Yep, so it's like that but four more around the sides and I don't believe one on the top. Um, So five total sensors uh, and they all work together because they're all aligned the same way around this quadcopter, it knows. Um, but really, it's for research and for kind of the professional uses. They know that people, it's not a consumer product, not really, I mean, consumers can buy it if they want to develop for it, but it really is for people who've been trying to, you know, use quadcopters for inspection, for construction sites, for architecture, farming, like that stuff. This is what it's for. It's for payloads, basically, uh, sensor payloads. Um, the other interesting thing is that using this. SDK. Now there's a new Phantom 3 SDK and Inspire 1 SDK. These are follow-ons to the Phantom 2 but SDK? But not backward compatible. Oh, okay. Uh, people have been doing interesting things. They got a developer to put, uh, for example, leap motion control um, for uh, for the quadcopter, which can be then ported to the Inspire One, or uh, Oculus head tracking control for the gimbal, a gimbal camera. And we got to try that out as well. Um, you're going to get latency, the same amount of latency as you would get with the current gimbal for both the servos moving and also the light bridge data signal. Okay. But it was a really interesting way to, um, for, from a filming standpoint, to use your head to head track 
essentially 360 uh, around this quadcopter while someone else is flying it. I got, I got to try this with you, and it was it was pretty cool, but you have to imagine it's projected into a rectangle in front of you. Right. It's not it, like wide field of view. It's not like know. an Oculus you know, field of view. So, so they're, what they're doing is taking a wide-ish field of view on the camera, although the camera is not that wide FOV, and they're just projecting it onto the inside of a dome, basically. Probably about one-to-one what the actual FOV of the camera is in front of you. So when the camera moves, does the projected area inside the Oculus move, or does it stay locked it to your in FOV you. in front of you? It's, it's actually pre- it's very intuitive. You would, okay. you would understand it right away. You're basically using your head as a joystick yeah. to move the camera around. Ah, the old um, head joystick. <laughs> which it, it makes sense. I mean, you're moving your head, and then your eyes can like follow something else. But you're you have fine control over your head, and it's just another way of instead of using a, a thumb sti- trigger or thumbstick to to move a camera or even touch screen to move a camera, you're using your head to move the camera. Um. Okay. Is that it? That's it. The Surface Hub pricing was released earlier this week. We talked about the Surface Hub when they announced it. I think at that January event was that was that when that was. The Surface Hub is that giant TV, touch TV for conference rooms at Microsoft. It was at the January thing where they showed off Hololens the first time, um, the first Windows 10 event, and uh, they have two models: 84 inch 4K version, 84 inch. Think about that for a sec. 4K version for $20,000 or a 1080p 55-inch version for $7,000. So if any of you were thinking you were going to maybe get crazy, put a conferencing TV in your living room, probably not so well, it's, much. It's for businesses. It's a new whiteboard. And the the more interesting thing is that this is what Surface originally was, um, aside well, from the object tracking. Well, originally it was from the, it was a the table, table right. tabletop. But this is for interactive touchscreen, multi-person interactive touchscreen display. Yes. And so they pivoted. Surface now is, of course, like what I'm using, it's a laptop slash tablet division. And um, the Surface Hub is the technology that they bought from Perceptive Pixel, which if you remember way back, that TED Talk from Jeff Hahn, when he had those that giant wall and he did like the, the, the Google Maps and mm-hmm. interactive research stuff. It's really for offices and research institutions for collaborative productivity. Also on the Microsoft Beat, uh, there's an Xbox, there's Xbox One hardware news. Uh, they announced a one terabyte console. It's shipping to retailers June 16th for $400, and they're dropping the price on the existing 500 gigabyte consoles to hmm. $349. What? Um, with a, with a uh, Kinect? No, no connect okay. for three forty. No, no, neither. Interestingly, you, you asked that. Neither of these have connects. Huh. Um, the uh, I think the new console comes with the new controller, the one uh, which which we also mentioned earlier, but has a headphone jack in addition to that weird port that they have on the bottom, uh, and then uh, the one terabyte version will come with the Master Chief collection for a little while. Um, no, no length of time on that. The uh, wireless controller is the same price as before if you buy that. It just has the stereo headset jack, so you don't have to buy the $25 adapter to plug your headset in. I have to say, my favorite thing about the new generation of consoles is that you can just plug a headphone ja- a headset jack into it when you're sitting in the living room. Yeah, that's clever. Like, like being able to sit and play games and be loud without having my kid wake up two rooms over. Really, really nice. Smart. Yeah. Um, and then also the Windows, the Microsoft adapter for the, let's see, the official name is the Xbox wireless adapter for Windows uh, will cost 25 bucks and will be bundled with an Xbox One wireless controller for $80. They don't call it 
Windows for Windows 10? They just call it the no. There is no Windows 10. Windows 10 is just Windows. <sighs> the Xbox. They don't call it the Xbox One wireless adapter for Windows either. Doesn't work with the 360. It is the Xbox wireless adapter for Windows. Hmm. It works with the USB 2 or 3 port. Um, and, and it's only for Windows. It, it is only for Windows 10. It's only for Windows 10. Um, Polygon got to the bottom of that, and uh, it's a bigger. Do- it's a stick, not like a cable with a dongle like the old Xbox 361. I would suggest is that arbitrary. So when they got to the bottom of it, is it what do you mean? The Windows 10 exclusivity? I'd say they just didn't want to make drivers for it. Like it seems like they're pushing it. Windows 10 is free. It's a free upgrade for Windows 8 so or Windows 7. Arbitrary then. It's the same as making Halo only come out on Vista. Arbitrary. Yes. Marketing. No real technical limitation. I mean, Microsoft doesn't like to invest time and energy into dead operating systems, which Windows 8 and Windows 7 are both. You know, the past, not the future. Someone will make a driver. Uh, okay. So Here's the thing. I don't think it's a great decision. If this is no, it's a terrible here. decision to make it only available for Windows 10. If if past history is any indicator, if you ever are going to want this thing, I would strongly suggest you buy the standalone version early because, as happened, the 360 version, the standalone version dried up almost immediately. You can only get it with a controller. So, um, I I find this probably is. I'm probably going to get one of these just because uh, trying to use Bluetooth and a PS4 controller in the living room is a kind of shitty experience. Hmm. Anyway, um, SpaceX filed with the FCC for their space-based ISP. They are planning to launch 4,000 satellites uh, to give around the world internet access. We've talked about that a little bit before, but I don't think I had seen the 4,000 satellites number before, which seems kind of bananas. Um, but I think the idea is that they're going to use low-cost launches and cheap satellites yeah. rather than monolithic big satellites, which is what like Hughes uses. Um, to have both lower latency and better reliability and less dependence on one piece of hardware failing. Now, cheap has certain connotations. I, I think their SpaceX is trying to make the same quality satellite more, you know, less expensive, smaller, yeah. but but with built-in redundant. So it's a mesh right. that has redundancy built in, so that you'll always be covered by multiple satellites, as opposed to like the the current satellite-based internet stuff is all firing to geosynchronous orbit, which is a lot further away, and basically adds two hundred fifty-six to five hundred milliseconds of round-trip lag. So this is a closer orbit. It's closer orbit for four thousand satellites. Yeah. Um, Lightsail. Uh, do you guys know what Lightsail is? I thought this was really cool. Yeah, it's Ion? it's thrusters. No, no, no. Is it Bezos's spaceship? This is the Planetary Society. So that's that's oh. a Bill Nye the Science Guy. Oh, that's who it was. Um, that's right. He, I mean, he's the president or chairman or something of the Planetary Society. Yeah. Um, they launched Lightsail. Uh, to test solar sails. And it, it went dead at first, right? They, it had problems at first. And then it rebooted. It, they rebooted it. It didn't respond for a little while again. It, they got one picture back that that um, people spent a ridiculous amount of time stitching back together into something that looked a little bit like a picture. And then the next day, they got an awesome picture. You can see the picture of it right now. That's cool. Um, it's it's a solar sail, if you don't know what it is, is the idea is that you use a really... There's no... No air resistance in space. Mm. So I've heard that. Uh, it's not like sailing on wind. It's not like sailing on wind where you need more pressure behind you than in front of you. You just need any pressure Some behind massive you. Massive photons. So, yeah, the idea is a giant mylar sheet. In this case, I think it's 345 square feet on 13-foot booms uh, that expands out and then catches photons. And those photons provide push mm-hmm. so that you can move throughout the solar system without using fuel or consumables. Constant acceleration. Yeah, it, it, that's it, isn't it? That's, that's the secret. Is. That's the secret of space travel. Always be accelerating. Yeah. Or decelerating. 
The question <laughs> is, how do you decelerate with a solar sail? Do you shoot another mirror out in front of you that reflects sunlight back onto the solar sail? No, it's, it's it's inverse um, in, in, inverse power. It's inverse square law? It's inverse square law. As long as the further you get away, the, the weaker well, yeah. it is. Well, you're so, still accelerating. You're still accelerating, but I'm talking about like the, yeah, the right. propulsion of well, the But how do you decelerate? Yeah, you, I don't know. It, right. Crash. This is the question. There is no... Yeah, that's right. You got to crash. Yeah, I deploy. mean, yeah. I guess the theory is if you're, not using, if you're not using fuel to accelerate, you can carry the fuel with you that you need to decelerate using a traditional engine. Yes. So what are they, what's the goal of this spacecraft? I think it's just to, to, you know, it's the same thing as the ion engines that are used that are used for like new horizon uh, is the idea is that we want to try new types of propulsion. Right. I, I think the, the tiny amount of acceleration you get from solar sails probably means that this is a, a thing for unmanned probes, not manned travel. Cause I don't know about you, but I don't want to spend 12 years getting to Mars or whatever it is that it takes. Um, Where is it headed? The light sail? Yeah. It's going to crash back into the atmosphere in a couple of days. Oh, no kidding. So this this first flight was just to test the mechanism to for unfurl the boom and make sure that the sail deploys and all that stuff. Yeah. They're going to spend, I think, more money to launch to a higher orbit. Like right now, it's dragging the top of the atmosphere, and the sail is actually oh. causing drag, so it'll crash back down. Huh. When when the time comes next year, I think they said. Yeah, can't remember. Uh, they're going to do a more uh, fully fledged test as a propulsion system. So if the phase one, see if the sail will deploy. Phase two, see if the sail works. Phase three, <laughs> profit. profit. Yeah. Um, and I think that's it for news this week. Oh wait, oh wait, oh wait. But wait, there's more. One more thing. <laughs> wait, that's the second best. One more thing you'll hear this week, guys. Um, You're bitter. The WWDC keynote was on Monday morning. The Worldwide Developer Conference? This is the Worldwide Developer Conference for Apple, iOS, and and OS X, and Watch OS developers, it seems. Um, It is also Apple's premier venue for dad jokes every year. Hmm. Uh, They do a lot of dad jokes during this pretty much all the time. Uh, and they showed three things. They, I was surprised. They had a lot of stuff packed in to yeah, two let's, hours. Let's run through uh, like every operating system. Two so hours and 15 minutes. They uh, as, as, as succinctly and as informative as we can be. They didn't do the check-in, which they usually do before these press conferences. They didn't say like how the store was doing and how many phones they've sold and how many tablets they've sold and all that business. Right to OS X. Right to OS X. El Capitan. El Capitan. El yeah. Capitan. Which um, they started out kind of tongue in cheek, they, you know. What's the guy's name? Craig Ferrari. Big Hair. Craig Ferengi. Big Hair Man. Craig Figarini. Yeah, you know, he was talking about how the staff went off into the desert with a guru, and they had to decide what the name was going to be. And then he announced El Capitan. I thought it was a punchline. I thought well, last was, year he they, announced they, Weed. They, right. Exactly. Weed was the punchline. It's yeah. the California. It's the ultimate California name. Yeah. And what is El Capitan? It's the it's the biggest California? peak inside Yosemite. It's the if you think about it, there's two climbers peaks in Yosemite that are super famous, Half Dome and El Capitan. El Capitan, I think, is a four thousand foot vertical span. It's one of the more technically challenging climbs in the world. Is is it the one that someone recently Goodness I hope not crashed from? Um you mean the the the, the base jumper? Yeah. That would be bad. All right. So that's the new Yeah, one. no, that's it. That's the one. <laughs> oh, boy. People die on El Capitan all the time. That sucks. Oh, wait, no, that, that was in 1999. All right. So anyway. That's the yeah. new OS X. OS X. Here's what's new in OS X. Okay. 
they buffed up Spotlight, and they're giving putting natural language search both in apps in, and in the Spotlight. So the examples they gave were all things like, show me the emails from Phil Schiller I ignored, or show me my pictures from Yosemite last July. Okay. Um, this stuff, this is good. I, I hope that they're also buffing up performance because I've noticed that Spotlight, like that, just the time it takes from when you command space to open it, has gotten slower from. Uh, Mavericks hmm. from what was it? What was the last one? Mountain Lion. I don't. Mountain Lion to Mavericks to Yosemite. Anyway, you can now drag and move the spotlight window. Oh, really? Every yeah. size. Ooh, oh, that's yeah. exciting. Yeah. I missed that one. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> Big changes, guys. Oh boy. Um, they have pin tabs in Safari that actually work the way I would hope pin tabs work. Yes. Like Safari. Why doesn't Chrome adopt this? Here's so we're well, using the tab size. So you just can the pin icon. them, but you can they pin them, but, but they're, they're not dumb. locked. If you click a link yeah. on a pin tab, it, it opens in the same tab. Super dumb. Um, Safari is looking more and more like a browser that I would use if there was a Windows version. Like I, I use Windows and Macs, Windows PCs and Macs, and I need the browser to know what each other are doing, or else it'll make me crazy. And iOS. And iOS. Like, so so yeah. pin tabs, if you pin a tab, it stays there if you close the browser, mm-hmm. open it back up, your tabs are reloaded, yep. they're right there, they never leave. So the idea is that tabs that, when, at sites that you use as apps, stuff like Twitter, Facebook, Gmail, yeah. make sense to leave in pins, because like, I always I like have it. my two pin tabs for, for, for uh, uh, Inbox by Google open. I like 12 pin tabs. All my, all my new sites should be pin tabs. Yeah. Yeah, it's have dedicated browsers. Uh, also, individual tab management for audio, so you can mute specific tabs. Chrome yeah. has had this. Well, no, Chrome has had Chrome has had the the indicator that shows you where the sound is coming from, but it doesn't give you any kind of universal control to mute tabs. There's an extension for that. There's an extension for a lot of things, but extensions make Chrome slow as shit. So, um, oh, it's not an extension. It's actually a debug setting. Oh, that's good to yeah, know. Then yeah. that's okay. Window management. I rescind my starkey comment. <laughs> Um, they they made uh, the two big things that I saw. One is that they made the multi uh, desktop thing work much better. Mission control. I think that like you can drag a window up to the top of the screen. It'll add it to a new space. That seems useful for like the five people I know that use spaces. You use spaces. Norm uses spaces. A couple of our programmer friends use spaces. Jeremy, do you use spaces? Never. Yeah. Do you use full screen apps though? Which I, means you do use spaces. I use dual monitors. Oh, okay. So I have two monitors, Your but they're physical both in spaces, front of me. not but virtual. One spaces. thing that they did add now is um, side by side full screen apps. In these one window. these things. This low Windows. Slow? No Windows. Windows eight has been doing that. Windows, Windows 7, seven did that. Yeah. Drag a window to the side of the screen. Yeah, but full screen light. means something different in those OS. No, 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 no. no. When it mean? works the same way. So, so with this, with the functionality they showed here is that you long press on the green button on the top of every window in OS ten, and then. You can drag it into, it'll go into a half split or a two third split or whatever, right? I'm yeah. getting the iOS and the OS 10 stuff mixed up in my head. I do this all the time with the Windows key, and you hold down and you go. Yeah, left Windows or right. key left or right. I love that, but a full screen app in Windows is not the same thing as a full screen app in, in OS 10. Well, the thing that changes is the taskbar Chrome doesn't go away in Windows, but right. it does in exactly. OS 10. Yeah, it's like a full takeover. Yeah. But so now they're side by side. I don't know. I thought that these were. I thought that these were more like traditional Windows on the desktop. Oh. I don't think that these were full screen. Oh, okay. Full screen mode. It was just traditional the, the, Windows. The Windows. Yeah. Oh, was it? Yeah. Okay. yeah the dock was snapping. still at the bottom of the page. It's Windows gotcha. snapping. Thank you. Um, I love Windows snapping. Glad they have that. Yes. Split view. I wrote down. I don't remember what that is. Could be what we're talking about. Is that what we're talking iOS? about from iOS now? No, no. In uh, 
Anyway, ignore. Um, they're adding metal to OS 10. Metal is their direct to like bypassing OpenGL low leveling rendering API for graphic stuff. This is a good thing for games, especially on OS 10. Yeah, they had the Epic and come Adobe. Up and the de- and, well, yeah, and Adobe. Epic came up and, de- and demoed a new game they're developing. Some I, zombie thing that looked like a game from five years ago. I would be more excited. Oh, Fortnite. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like Team Fortress 2. Yeah. Um, sorry, Epic, guys. Huh. Uh, I love you, Epic. I would be more excited about Metal if they were shipping laptops with discrete graphics and iMacs with discrete graphics. Um, there's going to be a public beta for El Capitan available in July uh, and then general availability this fall. That's pretty much it. It was. It was. Uh, they said they were going to focus a lot on performance as well, which is which is a good thing to me. Um, iOS nine, a lot of stuff in iOS nine. Uh, they opened by kind of bragging about Siri, which I found Ugh. odd. Um, uh, Craig, uh, if you want to win me over, you got to come out and be straight about how Siri is not the greatest. Is is a mess. Personal yeah. assistant. He he. So they said that they have a five percent error word error rate which seems really low in my experience um probably the reason they think they have a five percent word error rate is that the siri fucks it up so badly that people just just (laughs) give up and go do something else well how do they error yeah how do they check for that i mean i'm sure that when you when you say no siri do this then it reports each of those as a failure i don't ever bother doing that anymore because it never works so um i mean nice job apple guys way to way to boba there norm (laughs) <laughs> um, they said they have a 40% reduction in word error rate and it's 40% faster than before. I'll believe that when I see it. Yeah. Faster would be better. Um, they talked a lot about context aware stuff, uh, like Siri knowing where you are, that you're in your car or in your home based on, I presumably like Wi-Fi access points and Bluetooth connections and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. This is all stuff like the promise of Siri as a location aware voice service it has was existed in the initial, I went back and looked it's in the, the iPhone 4S release press conference when Tim Tim Cook said basically or Phil Schiller, I can't remember who said look Siri is smart your phone knows where it is so Siri is going to know where it is so if you say hey I'm on Lombard Street it's going to know you're on Lombard Street and it's going to spell it right that never works for me ever yeah. never ever ever mm-hmm. um, isn't the part of the new context awareness also what you're doing in the OS seems like it yeah that, this is the part that was interesting so you, if you have an app open you'll be able to hold down Siri and say hey Siri remind me about this at 3 o'clock this afternoon when I leave work or at 6 o'clock tomorrow morning when I get up and that's an API for developers to allow I assume developers to tap into. It's interesting though because it lets uh, it lets you deep link into apps, which has previously not been able. You've been able to deep link search into apps. Deep link all sorts of stuff. Like there was a lot of deep linking into apps, which is a good addition, and I think is new um, on any mobile platform. Windows might be able to do that, but I don't think Android can do that right now. Google now and tap right can do that. they're doing things like mining your email for phone numbers. So if you get a call uh, and somebody has that number and a signature in your email address in your email, you'll Smart. you'll it'll say, "Hey, this is probably Bob from from accounting." But that's all local. That is all local. We'll talk about so that in not, a minute. It's not going to send that data. It's not going to send that data up, which is a little bit annoying. I kind of want that data saved across all my devices instead of just the. Well, how do you affirm that? How do you confirm it? How do you? What do you mean? Like, how do you? You can only error tr- correct. I think you. I, I don't know. I when think you get a call. I think in Apple's world, it it is on all your devices. Like you have the same email on all your devices. But it's not that. I think that's the. I don't have my email on my watch. Yeah, this is a mechanical watch, so I would never have email on it. Mm-hmm. But the point is, 
Okay. I don't use I don't use Apple's default clients, which we should, we need to talk about because yeah. if you don't use Apple's first party tools, then you don't a get lot of the, this stuff is useless. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there's APIs for search. You can search inside apps now, which is actually fa- fabulous. So they also brought back the old swipe left search box, so you can still swipe down to get to your spotlight. Okay. But you can now go to the home screen and swipe again. Oh, and it's on the left leftmost they, side. They brought that back, and it's a slightly different search. Tool. So hold on. If you swipe swipe down, it looks like they put a whole bunch more context aware stuff. So when you pull down from the top, it looked like you had also things that maybe you do at that time of day or at that location or you know people in that context or people you talk to. Like if the first thing I do every morning is send Norm a Slack message that mm-hmm. says, "Hey, are you coming to the office today?" Presumably, it'll start giving me an option to hit Norm and say. And 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 go through that process. I was under the impression that the swipe left one was that, that? that's coming back is the more verbose one. Oh. This one is just same old spotlight. Huh. Swipe down. Swipe down. swipe down is same old, but the, the bring back both? swipe. It's confusing. I don't know why they have both. Yeah, I, I didn't. I missed the swipe to the left thing entirely. Yep. I mean, um, I feel like there's an opportunity for swipe to the left to be their their version of Google now. Right. There's deep links for search results here. So if you search for if you search for something and it, Facebook pops up with an answer and Instagram pops up with an answer and Foursquare pops up with an answer, when you tap the result, it will take you directly to the result instead of taking you to the app where you have to search. This is all good stuff. Yeah, the developers give a big cheer for that one. Yeah, this this also potentially could solve the problem of hey, I just I want to watch Bolt. Where do I do I own Bolt? Is it on Plex? Is it on Netflix? Is it on Amazon? Is it on Hulu? Is it on HBO? Where can I watch this? You just type the name of the thing you want in. And they said that that um, both Siri and Spotlight would work for movies now, which is interesting. Um, lots of natural language demos with the, the search stuff as well. Um, and then they made a big point of saying that this was all anonymous and that they wouldn't track. Uh, this wasn't uploaded to the cloud. They weren't tracking you. If they did have to send something to the internet, it was with an anonymized ID, et cetera, et cetera. All points they wouldn't make if Google didn't have a pretty compelling product. Yes. Um, Apple Pay, uh, they should talk about Apple Pay some. There's going to be an Apple Pay reader coming from Square. So I was I assumed that this would be rolled into a commerce version of the iPad, but that may have been naive on my part. I think that's cool because I th- I'm worried that Square would see Apple Pay as, you know, a problem. Yeah. Uh, so Apple Pay, the Square Reader will support Apple Pay and those and cards with the little chip in them, which I don't know about you, but in the last year, all of my cards now have the little chip in the, it looks like a SIM card connector, basically. Um, so, so that's interesting. Um, the, I love this feature. All of the loyalty cards will show up in your wallet now. So I think right now you can put like Starbucks cards and stuff in there, but you can't put, say, your Safeway card or your Walgreens card or your Panera bread frequent buyer card and that kind of stuff. Yeah. The neat thing about that is that when you touch the phone or the watch to the to the payment terminal mm-hmm. at that vendor, it says, oh, this is a Walgreens payment ben- payment terminal. You should get the Walgreens card. So you don't even have to think about it. You don't have to dig through it. You don't have to carry all those fucking cards in your wallet anymore. Super good news. Cool. And you also mentioned that it's wallet. It's not, no longer passport. They're calling it wallet instead of passport. Yeah, which yeah. is it's interesting because a couple weeks ago, Android came out with Android Pay. Yes. And now they're kind of doing the old switcheroo. Yeah, because Google, Google's wallet as well, right? That's right. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the getting like those... Now, here's the thing. Apple says we're not about tracking people, but then they're enabling all the tools that retailers use to track you. 
in their devices. Retailers love the the well, yeah. membership cards. I mean, there there have been a ton of articles, but I mean, the amount of data that Safeway generates from people who purchase things with the Safeway Club card is astounding. They know how often you buy, all the products you buy. They can tell, like they they can when you get those coupons after you buy something at Safeway. If you get, say, a paper towel coupon, they know that you usually buy bounty paper towels, you usually buy selectasive, and you usually buy a 12-pack, but you haven't bought any from them in a less in a frequent time that you normally would have. Yeah. They know all that stuff. So are you saying this is hypocritical of Apple? It's a little hypocritical. But there's nice opt-in. I mean, the the payment things are opt-in, yeah. except for the deals that they give you are such that you, you know, I, I can't afford to go to Safeway and buy stuff at Safeway without using the club card, because well, I'll pay twice as much for everything. That's between you and Safeway. Well, not anyway. Apple. Um, I think the loyalty card stuff is a, is a, is a, like, if you look at real problems that real people have on a day-to-day basis, I think this is a, probably a good thing. Yeah. Well, most people don't have Apple phones, and those people have, or watches. I think. To have that problem. You think, here's the thing though. They don't have, the two phones that Apple's released that have NFC are the 6 and the 6 Plus, right? They've sold how many millions of those in the last year? In three years, everyone will have, you know, the, the 50 million people that buy iPhones in the United States or use iPhones in the United States will all have those. That's, that's good. This does, is a good thing. Doesn't the 5S support NFC? I didn't think the 5S had NFC. Okay. Um, Let's see. They change. They the notes changes are good. Notes is probably the last of the Apple apps that I use regularly. Oh, really? Because I use it all the time. So, and I was really happy about this. Yeah, I think this is good stuff. This is like a brand new app. Sketches. You'll be able to draw in notes, which makes perfect sense. The sketches of, are silly. I mean, I maybe there'll be a use case for that, but I, I think, think not, the default any type of default finger drawing app is yeah, necessary. Yeah, I suppose notes. you're right. Yeah. There really isn't one, is there? I use Evernote for that now. For sketching, yeah, for sketching. That's interesting. There isn't an Apple one, but I love the to-do list. The I'm uh, um, not to-do list, but the uh, check boxes. Check boxes are good. I use yeah. Evernote for that stuff too. Mm-hmm. Um, this is cool. So if you're already using Evernote or Wonderlist or something like that, it's less appealing. But this is a good thing. And let me tell you, the new cursor movement. This ma- it's the killer app. This is my favorite thing. But that's only on iPad. Yeah, I know. But dude, have you tried it? No, I haven't put it. I haven't put it Fan- on my. All right. So hold on. Well, let's let's get finish up iOS before iPad (laughs) maps. uh, They're doing improvements. They're doing transit directions, starting with 10 cities in the Western world and 300 cities in China. The thing that I like about this is they're actually mapping the entrance and exit points on the station. Right now, if you live, if you're someplace that you have to use Google for Google maps for transit and you're a city that you're completely unfamiliar with. When I was in Chicago earlier this year, it said, go to this corner, look for the train station fuck if I could find the train station because it was the entrance was inside a building right having entrances and exits mapped is a huge deal super good none of it matters if their directions don't continue to improve much faster than they have um news is something I'm putting directly in Apple crap. <laughs> yeah, come on. You're, you come from a print background. you got to give this a shot. I, I want to be flip- able to curate the list of, 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 of uh, Which you providers. Can. No. Flipboard. It's Flipboard. You can choose from a list of providers they select. You cannot yes. add your own providers. Well, that's true. Yeah. And, and providers will provide the content. They have a partnership with Apple. It's for you know their formatting. It looks clean. It's Flipboard. Obviously, I have bias about this because we have a website where we provide content. I assure you we will not be part of this initial run out. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to check it out. I'll report back. Okay. okay. Let me know how long. <laughs> I want you to start a timer on your Apple Watch and let me know at what moment into the experience you switch it from home screen 
to Apple crap. Okay. Okay. Uh, the iPad changes. It seems like they made a spend. They're spending a lot of effort um, updating the iPad and making the iPad more capable, which t- I think says lends lends some credence to the idea, especially when they're they're uh, fragmenting the feature set uh, with models. The idea that they might be releasing like an iPad Pro model, which is the uh, yes. I think I think. Yes. So the stuff that they're rolling out is only for the iPad Air two. Most uh, of this. No, stuff. no, no. Only, only one, one feature. Only one feature. IPad only 2. the one big feature yes, is for the iPad Air right. two. So the keyboard, which is available everything. That's true. Uh, Jeremy, what is great about this new keyboard cursor thing? Well, there's there's a few things. The new keyboard has little shortcuts at the top for cut, um, for copy, paste, and mm-hmm. cut. Which and it, I think I, cursor grab too, or something. I guess a lot of people maybe that's been confusing for people how to use it. I don't know. I never had a problem. Long press. Long press was for long yeah. time something that was not yeah, very. But transparent. I'm, I'm telling you, you can. It's awesome. You can now put two fingers down on the keyboard and treat the entire screen as a trackpad. That's amazing. So now you can move the cursor without tapping anywhere on the screen. You just put two fingers down there and you move. You you get this analog thing where you. The cursor kind of follows your mouse. Is it a mouse? It's like a second cursor. So and when you you move that around and you leave that somewhere, the cursor jumps. So there. it's a mouse. And then yeah, basically. But it's, it's only a mouse. for cursor control, right? Can only, you select stuff with yes, it? Yes, and then oh. you can tap a single time with two fingers to select a word, and then you can drag and you select paragraphs at a time, very fast. Um, I see. I think that both of these changes, the the keyboard shortcuts, like press and hold, you can use. Yeah, it's slow. Right. Yeah. There's a there's a break. It's much less much slower than say con- Control C Command C. And you have to put your finger over the thing you're trying to tap. Right. And it's hard to do. There's some registration problems. Like if you don't want to get the comma after a word, that's always hard to get. Yeah. Um. I feel like having dedicated buttons for that is something that's an absolute no brainer. Um. The two finger on the keyboard, I almost jumped. Like that. That is a thing that will let me use my iPad and not carry laptops. And when I'm I travel. telling you, I, I this is the first beta I've given a try. There's been no false positives. Positives, like it never ch- types a letter instead. It it's it's great. It's one of those experiences that just makes you feel like, oh my god, I can't go back. This is great. Um, the big thing I think is that they're uh, adding multitasking to the iPad Air two. That's yep. a big, big deal. Well, first of all, you don't need an iPad two for the first two types of so multitasking. There are, two, there are multiple types okay. of multitasking. There's slide over and slide over, which is available for most of the iPads, starting with I believe iPad. Yeah, two. which which one? Explain what so slide over it, is. You're in any app you want to be in. Doesn't matter what it is. You take your finger, you slide it in off the right hand side of the screen. Okay, and it pulls in a sidebar that's probably a, th- a third or a quarter of the width of the screen. Hold on, and that works on anything? I thought anything. that was only on iPad Air two. Anything. anything. So huh. then you you can tap from any number of blessed apps. They're all native Apple apps. It's bigger than that. I know. Yeah. So you've got it in Windows ten. So you tap any of the uh, like notes calendar. There's like ten native apps that work so far, and it turns it into a full height, you know, version of that app. The other app that you're overlaid on top of is inaccessible. Oh, okay, so it grays it out. Yes, you can see it. You don't technically leave it, but you can't use it. Can you drag stuff back and forth no. between the two windows? No, you cannot. No, no, and no. if you want to go back to it, does the other window go away? Does yeah. the slide yeah. in go so away? So you tap back into your old app and it slides out. It's so, a quick way to load, for example, Twitter or some stream of data. Yeah, or messaging. Or, or messaging. Email list. Glimpse that without yeah. doing a full switch. Yeah. And it, this seems less useful to me than the other thing. No, well, no. There's one other thing that you can do with anything, and that's the video overlay, the picture and picture. The video overlay yeah. seemed good. So if you're in a website, anything that supports Apple's native video player, including the Videos app or a video that plays in Safari, there's there's a new button that appears inside the video window, which uh, is right next to AirPlay, and it, it looks like a, you know a, a minimized kind of thing. You tap that, and it leaves the window and becomes an overlay 
on your iPad. Oh, so it works kind of like the YouTube, YouTube. app works. And th- but yes, but that you can continue to use your iPad. That's it, nice. It almost looks like something Apple wouldn't do because it, it obscures things. Yeah. So you can now hit the home button. Everything shrinks down. You're back into your OS, but the the video is still playing in the corner. And you can even drag it off the side of the screen if you drag want to it around to just the, screen, the audio or something like any that. Any of the corners or just a sliver on the side of the screen. So and you can go anywhere in your iPad and that video continues to play. So um, when you use the slide over thing on an iPad Air 2 that can do real multitasking, can you use both windows at the same time? Once you convert it to a true split screen, yes. Yes. But it has to be 50-50 in order for that to work. No. Oh. No. You, know, you tap the you you basically you tap the bar between them yeah. and then it converts to what only the new iPad Air can do, which okay. is two independent columns. So the thing that I like is 50-50. It's not no, it's not It can be 50-50 or 70-30. Right. Yeah. So the, if if you do it seventy thirty, then you have a vertical mo- mode that lets you scroll between applications that can show up in that thirty split, right? There's an arrow at the top that lets you pull down. That's the same as slide over. That's the same as slide yeah, over. You can always change the slide over app by gr- dragging in from the top. Okay, but on the on the iPad Air two, once you bring them both live, yeah. you can use both at the same time and drag yeah. and drop between them and stuff like that. Yeah, and that's cool. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, you can't, from what I can see. At least with yes, sli- we know Norm. You can do it on a Windows with machine. Slide- that's, an, that's an x86 PC <laughs> with slide over. You didn't Fantastic. look to me like you could have you could do it on ARM PC too. You could do it on your Windows 8 machine, your RT machine. Yes. But I, that was the only thing you could do on that. One obvious use case that I hope that is there for release is two Safari tabs. It didn't look. That, yeah, that was my question. It didn't look to me like that was possible. At least with slide over. Chrome and Safari. That's well, awesome. they have to be blessed apps for the for the <laughs> slide over. Oh, really? Well, oh, everything in slide over right now looks like Apple, and it's all. Oh no, no! They said anything that uses the Windows six, uh, the iPhone true. six or iPhone six plus APIs would work. Uh, you're right. Yeah, the, scale. the auto scale stuff. Yeah, the auto scale stuff. Well, great. I hope that that's possible. Um, I'm I'm like I think that this is their response to. Hey, there's a bunch of really compelling sub five hundred dollar laptops out there. What does the iPad? Why would you buy an iPad when you can buy a four hundred dollar laptop that's that is more capable? Yeah. Um, the fact that it works with iPad Air two shows that one uh, performance yeah is going to matter, and two they want to make this for bigger because remember there's no difference in performance between iPad Air two and the uh, the the new Mini. No, that's not right. That's no difference between the iPad Mini two and the iPad Mini three. Yeah, the oh, iPad. Still, that's right. They, the they, iPad Air two did, has the quad core, and oh, just all has, they did was add that Touch ID. That's right. Yeah. So I mean, this fall, by the time iOS nine comes out, there will be a new iPad Mini. Yeah, and I guess so or the not, is, or there will be no iPad Mini. No, oh. come on, dude. That's I, I'm just saying. Don't say that. I, iPad Air, uh, iPad Mini, iPad. Air 2 and iPad Pro. It sounds an awful lot like that MacBook lineup. <laughs> What's is the 8X is the quad core, right? I can't remember. Um, anyway. Yeah. Other stuff? Other uh, stuff? Battery life? There's a new back button, though. That What's the new back button? Like, if you're in any app, it's kind of interesting. So if you go to search and then you launch an app from there, uh, if you n- normally you'd have to hit the home button, go back to search again. Now in the upper left hand corner, there's a back to search thing. Oh, so it's like when you open Chrome from Tweetbot. If you have Tweet, if you have Chrome set up as the default browser in Tweetbot, you go into Chrome, you hit the back the back button in Chrome. All of a sudden, is back to Tweetbot. Yeah, this is a good thing. It definitely. Yeah. Um, the uh, increased battery life across seemingly all devices. I thought that was interesting. They ever so briefly mentioned there would be two factor authentication for iCloud. Didn't give any details at all about that. 
Um, update will be 1.3 gigabytes, so presumably will be easier to install than iOS 8 was. Was that is that only from iOS 8, or presumably from don't have any idea? I bet so. I would assume that you have to update to iOS 8 first. Um, ad blockers. Uh, will be possible in mobile Safari, given some new APIs that are available in Safari. This is a there, there's a lot of bad implications for people who create stuff on the web. Also, a lot of good implications for people who use the web. Um, continuity. This is interesting. This came out yesterday. Continuity is going to allow calls from phone to tablet, even if you're not on the same Wi-Fi hotspot. That is interesting, but so, on, only on T-Mobile launch. Right? At first, yeah. Right now, if you if I get a call, my phone's across the room. I'm in front of my laptop. I can just pick up the call. T-Mobile is saying, "Hey, we have we're going to let this happen across all networks." So if you leave your phone at home, you're not still phoned. Calls. That's yeah. interesting. Cool. Um, and uh, the min spec is the iPhone 4s, which is the same as iOS 8 was. Uh, oh, other big thing is app thinning. So apparently on the server side, developers will be able to specify which assets are needed for which devices. So you won't have to download all the assets for all the devices if you're delivering an app to, say, an iPad Air or an iPhone or whatever. Or you also won't have to build multiple versions of those. You'll just have to tag the assets for the right devices and then it, like it should just work itself out. That's good. Um, the min spec is, I think the min spec being the same as last year is, is telling. I think that's a, that's good. We'll be interested to see how this performs on a 4S. I don't know if I have a 4S anymore, but, um, that's it. That's it for iOS. That's the high points. And then watch OS too. All right. I don't know that this was the big announcement. I think the big announcement was the iPad stuff probably, but this was a lot of this was stuff was stuff we knew, uh, native apps are coming, uh, did they give a time on this? I didn't fall. write that down. Fall. I'm, just, I'm feeling else. fall. Fall. Yeah. Fall. Yeah. So it definitely na- wasn't July. They talked about what you'd be able to use for native apps, and yes. that includes the microphone. Uh, it includes the digital crown. I didn't realize you couldn't use the digital crown now. Yeah, na- but if you think about it, that's true. Yeah, no. Um, so, but that'll be great. Uh, you know, I immediately started thinking about what apps or what, what games you could make. What do native apps mean, Jeremy? Well, native apps mean apps that run instantaneously and with full responsiveness on the phone. I mean, on the watch, right? So instead of using the the CPU and the phone to do the work of the, making the app run, you're using the CPU and the watch. That's right. And yeah. it doesn't need even data from from the phone. Yeah. Right. So presumably, does that mean you'll be able to connect Wi-Fi to the phone and not? Wi-Fi to the watch, you mean? To the watch and, and not connect, not use the phone's data connection as an intermediary? Presumably, right? That's, why not? Yeah, I don't know. If you know, we'd love to know. Post in the comments. I'm excited about the games. I'm seeing Pong. Uh, Gary mentioned... Uh, Two-player Pong. Tempest. Tempest. Tempest would be yeah, good. Yeah, I want a driving game. Centipede. Uh-huh. There or you go. maybe not Centipede. Tempest, may probably, though. Yeah, Space Invaders. Um, let's see. T- uh, first thing they talked about are timepiece things. Uh, there's going to be a couple of new faces, mostly around photos. You can do photos, albums, or uh, time lapse. So they've shot time lapses from one specific spot in I think a half dozen cities, and the 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 time in the time lapse on your watch face changes as the time of day in I think that location. It was a little unclear. Yeah, changes. So if you if you want to see what time it is in London, you'll be able to look at your watch face and you'll know that it's dark, even though it's light here. Wait, what? So why they, would it be a time lapse if you're if it represents the? It's confusing. Time. It's the current. Is it just a current yeah, time. It's the is current it time, time in London. It's like a world clock that so, is a picture of London. I so think it's they, only a time lapse in the sense that they didn't take you know however thousand seconds there are in a day, right. and they, you're only getting updates. You every would, minute or so. there's, there'd be a certain level of symmetri- of of I don't know. It makes more sense if it wasn't time lapse. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. <laughs> um, 
I mean, the fact that they shot a time lapse was only to get the series of shots that they that, wanted to show right. the time progressing right. throughout the day. Um, you third party developers will be able to add complications. Uh, this is a good thing that I'm also kind of dreading in the same way that third party developers being able to do notifications has resulted in some stuff that's really good, but also a lot of real shit shows. We get single serving websites now can be in the form of complication. That's true. Is lost on tonight. Right. Is, is the Bay bridge. No, has the Bay is the Bay bridge open or how much the toll is right now for the Bay bridge. Yeah, exactly. Um, the charge state of your electric car was one of the examples. I thought that was a good one. Yeah, it's a good one. Uh, the complications, you'll be able to run forward and backward in time. Well, now it's the whole screen. The whole screen, yeah. yeah. Just like you can now with the Ori, the astronomical face. That's right. You can see what happens in the future or in the past. So if you're just sitting at your watch, you scroll the digital mm-hmm. crown, and you can move backwards and forwards through, town, through time, and all of the complications will adjust. So this, is, this seems surprisingly useful if you're using calendar complications. That's right. Uh, what because am I doing at... 4 yeah. p.m. tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. They said they were still working on getting the stocks app to work. Oh boy, that was a that. Remember when I said the thing about dad jokes? Dad joke, yeah, yeah, dad That's jokes. Good. I'm getting so many texts over here. I'm so sorry. Um, let's see. Nightstand, uh, nightstand mode. mode doesn't work with the loop. I didn't wear the loop today, but Dumb. um, who who? This is the whole this that. Is the strangest thing because every watch stand that I look at also assumes that you stra- put your band back together after you take it off your wrist. Nightstand yeah. requires you to like yeah put it back together. Snap your band together. Who does why, that? Wait, does, why does it require you, and how can they detect that? Well, so nightstand mode is this thing where if you have your watch on its side, it okay. dis- displays a like portrait. A, a portrait. portrait. Landscapes are landscape right, that view. That would be it, like a landscape view of a clock. Okay, with alarm. With buttons on the top for yep. snooze and off, which okay. is a great idea. But, but why do you need your band to be closed? Because if I take my watch off, it doesn't stand up on its own. But Oh, look, it, it does. It does. Oh, yeah, that's and cool. also the way the, 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 the magnetic charger props it up. I mean, it's all on the charger. There you go. If the charger is a, more a dock as opposed to a, a flat Yeah, the charger pad. comes out the bottom. You know what? That works much better than I thought. <laughs> okay. I'm happy now. Oh, boy. I don't know if I'm going to use it, though. Um, what else? Uh, uh, I thought the nightstand looked neat. It didn't work with the loop. The loop won't stand up flat. It will stand up vertically. Oh, that's loop. right. Your yeah. knees. That's right. As long as the, as long as the, the, do- the charger can be propped up that way. I'm sure it'll be fine. The charger won't prop up that way either. You can make a mount. You can 3D print you could, I could 3D print a mount because uh, I need more 3D printed shit on my nightstand. This is always a real problem. Um, the uh, 12 friends... You right now you can only have twelve friends on the friend screen on the you know the one touch for the digital digital writing. You can add multiple screens now. You can add people from the watch. These are both good things. Um, multiple colors. You can do co- drawings with multiple colors. That's cool. And you can reply to emails using the native app. I, I wish that they had talked about APIs for replies and notifications. Um, there are a ton of communicate like the the communications apps like Slack and HipChat and all the stuff that you might use on the watch. It would be incredibly useful will be able to, know to respond from the watch, but it seems like that's going to be a watch OS three thing. Um, fitness stuff because they're going to be native apps and the native apps will have access to the accelerometer and all the other stuff on the watch. You'll be able to have native third party apps like Runkeeper and I can't remember that uh, Strava and all the other third party apps that are not running on the watch right now. Mm-hmm. That's good. Uh, you can also use Siri to start watch workouts. You say, Hey Siri, I want a 500 calorie run start now. And it'll go. Um, Apple Pay has all the stuff that's coming to Wallet, including the reward cards, which is nice. 
Um, and then Siri can do transit directions and also control HomeKit stuff, which they didn't really talk about at all. Um, the I'm still trying to grok what HomeKit is now. Um, it's profoundly confusing and a little bit different than all the other stuff that's preceded it in ways that are entirely unclear. Um, so once we figure that out, we'll we'll do an explainer for that. Um, so and, surprising, no Apple TV. Well, they said Brian Chen said no. Well, I'm Apple saying TV. so. No, so and that was where the HomeKit stuff were presented. But Norm, there was one more thing. All right, so are we ready for one more thing? The Apple TV integration with HomeKit was was as the endpoint in your home. So instead of having a hub, the Apple TV would be the always connected thing that authenticates your phone to the authenticates authenticates to iCloud the same way your phone does. So it is the in the house gate on your network for HomeKit stuff. Hue has HomeKit now. Hue has HomeKit. Lutron has HomeKit. Insteon has HomeKit. Um, a couple of other companies had had HomeKit stuff. It's all for pre-order. None of it's actually available now except for the Hue stuff. And I think the Hue stuff even needs a new piece of hardware to work. It's unclear. Hmm. The Hue is coming later. It's not right now. All right. So, one more thing. Apple Music. Bam. We're good. I think we're good. Um, what does that mean? I don't, I don't think it's of particular interest. They spent a long time talking about something that looked profoundly disinteresting. Apple streaming service, ten bucks a month, or six people for fifteen bucks a month. They not many. Ex- That's no a few bucks cheaper than RDO and Spotify for, for multiple people. Yeah, for yes, multiple in people. the multiple people thing, no, no big exclusive thing. Three big features. Uh, of course, this will replace the music app on your phone, but it's not coming out till June thirtieth, I believe. Uh, they're doing a worldwide twenty-four hour radio station. Apparently, this is Trent Renzer's idea. Beats one. Beats one. And then I kind of like that. I like a radio station with a good DJ, but there just aren't any anymore. But it's a world. It's the first worldwide radio worldwide station. One. I'm so kind of shared experience. I'm curious to hear what they play because it's hard to make one radio station that you know yes. appeals to a lot of people. Yep. And then, you know, does it change as time zones progress? Like, is it going to be more Asian music in the Asian daytime? <laughs> is it going to be Western music this, this in the Western is, daytime? This is the question. Right. Like, uh, I am interested in that. Do you have to pay to get that? No, no it's included. It, it's part of all. Is that you part? need to pay. Oh, you mean is it part of the You have to pay, pay for, for Apple Music. Apple music. Okay. Uh, and then, of course, they're bringing Ping back in the form of a direct fan connection with unsigned artists. Uh, as a service. I think it's all artists. Uh, yeah, all, all artists all can artists. use it if they want. Um, or their publicists. Yeah, or their publicists. Uh, $10 a month, you get the local downloads. It will come out on Android, which is interesting, and Windows Phone, well, although that's much later after this June 30th launch. Beats is already out on Android and Windows Phone, right? No desktop. But oh, it's, it's not client. in iTunes? It is in iTunes, but that no standalone desktop client. There's new versions of iTunes for Windows and, and OS ten that will support this, though. Um, I presume. No, they it, said that. It, it's not the Beats library either, though. It's the iTunes library. So is this... So everything that's in iTunes will be available to play on demand? That's what they said. Including Beatles and all the other stuff that only iTunes has? Isn't that interesting? Man, that that suddenly my $9 a month going to RDO looks a little sad compared to $9 a month going to Apple. Spotify is 20 Spotify has a lot of a lot of built up relationships with um, and, and RDO with studios. That's true. And labels. So does I mean, iTunes though. And so does iTunes. Uh, they didn't trot out, you know, Songwriters like Title did. Uh, well, they had one, I believe. Um, the quality of the service is 256k. AAC, though, right? Uh, a little lower bit rate than some of the other high quality ones that you may have to pay a little more for, especially on the title stuff. Um, 
I think they're banking on, and this could be antitrust, they're banking on people launching music on their iPhones because it's going to be built in the iPhone, iOS. And Siri and all that. And, and you only get that best experience if you pay for their service. I mean, th- one of the things they talked about being context aware was, hey, you just plugged in your headphones, you want music to pop back up, so music just pops up automatically. That works really poorly. It works great if you use iTunes and Apple Podcasts right now. It works really poorly if you use any of the third-party music players or podcasting clients. I'm super interested to see how this works. And and since they presumably, I haven't seen anything that indicates they're going to do Siri hooks for like third-party music apps. Yeah, I like having voice control for music is really useful. That's all I wanted the service for. Yeah, the, while I'm driving. The speculation, and the, not sure if this is true or not, is. The big wow announcement that was supposed to go along with Apple Music was pricing, and they could not secure the pricing deal. What was and the pricing? Originally, it was going to be five bucks. Well, so that five would, or eight bucks. That would make Apple the company that saved the music industry, and then ten years later destroyed the music industry. All depends <laughs> on what the deals are. But the group pricing is better than anything that's come before. Yes. Yeah, because I think RDO is seventeen dollars. Similar, and I presume they'll be priced down. Like the response from other uh, services is that they're going to lower their multiple user price. Is, is my best guess. Uh, uh, RDO is seventeen dollars, or it's either seventeen or eighteen. It's either sixteen ninety nine or eight or seventeen ninety nine. And Spotify is doesn't give you a flat price. It's half off for your loved ones. I know with Beats, we have a, the family plan. My wife and I use it, and it's the same price, but you don't get your own library, I don't think. So are you going to be maybe, upgraded to Beats? Yeah, it's, it's automatic. Beats, Beats is going to just become this end in of the, Jan- End June? of the month, it's just the new service. Are you excited? Are you looking forward to that? I'm telling you, man. I just want to control it with Siri. I'm happy. Hey, Siri, play Taylor Swift. That's the Playing Taylor Dane now. Yeah. There you go. That sounds right. Um, that's it for news, I think. It's a big one. There's a lot of news this week. I feel like we had that that one more thing a little underwhelming. Um, I'm going to play some music, and then we will take a uh, moment to talk about what we've been testing. We posted the Apple Watch review in depth yesterday, I guess. Seems like a long time ago. Um, It's not very good. It's okay. I don't like it very much. Well, it's the, good at notifications. It's bad at all the other stuff. It's kind of the TLDR. Does the new OS uh, fix anything you're worried about? We'll, we'll look at that later this year when the new OS is actually available. All right. Yeah. Uh, there's public betas of all the stuff Apple released coming this summer at the latest. And dev, rela- dev betas right now. Uh, you have spent a little tiny bit of time with Pebble Time. Yeah, I received my Pebble Time. Is it Pebble Time, Jeremy Williams? Stop. Pebble Time. So, you know, it's a $200 watch. Okay. The Apple Watch is a $400 watch. Yes. So that, that's where you start with both of these products, I think. And this is probably a little more than half the watch that the Apple Watch Can I watch see it? Is. I haven't actually held one. It's... Very, very plasticky. So, you know, that's the first thing you notice. But that also means that it's light. It's considerably lighter when it sits mm. on your wrist. And that's comfortable. But I think the Apple Watch is a little cooler because it's metal and it stays even on a hot day. You mean like temperature cooler, temperature not cooler. cooler looking? No, that's subjective. Yes. No, I think that it actually stays cooler on your wrist than the Pebble Time. I think um, the, I got a little sweaty under that guy. This plastic bezel looks better than I expected it to look. It's certainly better than the last Pebble. Yeah, that, the last one looked like a toy, like something you get at Cracker Jack. Just box. massive. Although the last Pebble Time, uh, the last Pebble Steel looked pretty good. The Pebble Steel looks great. And this is still a large bezel. You turn it on. How do you turn it on? You Same as the old way. Hold the button. Um, so the screen is 
you know, it, first of all, battery life is the number one thing. It lasts a week. That's pretty good. I charged it on Sunday and uh, or when, when, like a Saturday, and it just la- it just lasts and lasts and lasts. Um, you have almost an infinite number of watch faces to choose from. It supports all the old Pebble watch faces, of course, in black and white. If they've been updated, it works in color. But the screen uh, is is why it, the battery life lasts. So long. I like the animations here. It's, it's really nice. It's very smooth too. Active. E- the e ink for whatever reason takes very little power. E paper. E paper. Sorry. And so it and it looks great in direct sunlight. Uh, I mean, if honestly, if it was always in direct sunlight. I would have much different. I would much different feeling about the watch. But because I spend most of my time inside, like and, any decent human, and being. half the day is nighttime, I I can't get into that screen. It's Does just this, way too dim and no contrast. Doesn't it have a light? Yeah, still, but still, it's oh. just inside with that light on. It's like shades of gray. It's like slightly colorized shades of. How gray. many shades of gray? Right. Ooh, it looks like Elcar's. It is Elcar's. So I, that's that's an awesome face, by the way. And the time face. My wife uses that face on her Pebble. What do we call these? The clock faces? L cars. No, no, no. Oh, cl- watch faces. Watch is what faces. They call them. There are so many watch faces in there, and there's absolutely n- no regard for licensing problems. No, <laughs> it's the Wild West. You open up the Pebble Watch app, and there's everything from Apple Watch clones to an L cars interface. And, but the cool thing is, like, they give developers so much power over what they can display, where, like what features and what it looks like, that you can make a really sophisticated L cars interface that is fan- like that is my favorite watch face. It, it gives me all that information, and it's all, um, you know, it looks like it's almost little design. Um, it's just there for design, but it actually is functional. Do you think, Jeremy, that our friends at the Central Broadcasting, uh, I don't know what the S stands for, station, mm. do you think they get their cut of the Star, Star Trek money there? No, no cut. Yeah. Nor- God. Uh, it's the screen the is screen unfortunate is in this really light. Really bad unless it's in direct light. That's I, what I'm I have to point it off axis into light to see clearly in the yeah. colors, and it looks really recessed below, like a bubble of glass. And that's a bubble a, of plastic. As, as good as as improved as it is over the last Pebble, it's still a small screen. And it's a gigantic bezel. Well, so here's here's the thing Two though bezels. about the last last pebble is the last one you could it was contrasty enough because it was just black and white that you had no problem reading it ever is that right like that was the one that was the thing i like about the the pebble steel literally more than anything else is that there's never a hold up and squint moment with it you can see it in the dark you can see it Mm -hmm. in the daytime because it had a good light and it's great in full sunlight it's great indoors the whole thing is it a resolution Um, thing because of the higher resolution i think it's because of the colors i think they lose lose contrast because they added the colors now i will say you can run native apps on it i can't do that on my apple watch that's true. I was there's a little super sprint racing game I have on here that is a uh, you know I'm playing a game on my watch and like you said the transitions are awesome. I'm not super nice interested in playing games on my watch. Uh, you know, or doing math. I, when I was a kid, I had game watches. Whenever they come, I know I had watch. those too, and like they always were cool for about eight minutes, and then it was just a really big watch. You know, I just kind of I kind of enjoy that kind of thing. What so, um what about the? Can you use the microphone? Have you tried that? You know, I haven't tried that. Can you do Hey Siri? Well. Probably no, it's not. not right? seen, it's, I don't think it's connected to my phone. Oh, okay. But uh, I'd be curious about that. You have told me that Android has a slightly better support. So my the, the feeling the 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 feedback I got from people who were saying things before reviews came out mm-hmm. um, was that Android support was better than iOS support. So gotcha. uh, we're going to get one, and I think we're going to get that one actually because you seem to be not enamored with it. And I um, wanted to check it out. 
and we'll uh, Norm and I will both use it for a little while, and then we'll do a video. I'm the my favorite thing is the transitions because they only had sixty four colors to work with, so I think they made some really smart decisions. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a lot of flat colors and flat graphics in here, and every single sprite looks like it's a vector graphic. And when they move across the screen, they stretch and come apart in a way that looks very retro. And I, I think it's very cool. If if the Apple Watch is hardware in search of good software, would you say that this is software in search of good hardware? Sure. Yeah, I think the software guys on here are really, really talented. Um, so there we go. Pebble time. First, first thoughts. Um, I got a PlayStation TV the other day. Oh. The PlayStation TV, if what? you don't know what it is, is a Vita in a little box, like a like literally like a tiny little box. It's like the size of a pack of playing cards or cigarettes or something like that. And it has a USB port, HDMI port, Ethernet. That's it. And you plug it into your TV, and it lets you play Vita games, stream games from PlayStation Now, or stream games from your PlayStation 4, or I guess 3, too, in your house. I don't know if it does 3, but the normal Vita you can stream from the PlayStation 3 as well. Um, and you can hook up a PS3 or PS4 controller to it. So if you already have controllers, I think right now you can get the v- the PlayStation TV for like fifty or sixty dollars. Um, it does. It has all the Vita apps for media streaming, like Netflix and that stuff. It's kind of neat. Like I was really shocked at at um, like I hooked up to the TV in our bedroom and was laying in bed playing Vita, playing stream games from the PS4 on the Vita. And I'm doing it over Wi-Fi. I think it's 802.11n, not even AC. So the And it's the 2.4 gigahertz range, not the 5 gigahertz range. It was a pretty, pretty good experience. Like I was able to play Spelunky and Axiom Verge and stuff like that. Um, as I said earlier, Bloodborne, the, <laughs> the timing on that was hard. Um, and I stopped playing. Maybe I think I probably would have adjusted to it to the the tiny bit the bit of latency, but I didn't want to because I didn't want to get bad at Bloodborne when I'm sitting in front of a real computer on a real TV. Um, How much is it? Fifty bucks, sixty bucks. Right on. Yeah, it was neat. Um, we'll do a probably a show and tell for that uh, after I spend a little bit more time with it, and, and I want to make sure I test it with Ethernet in addition to Wi-Fi to see what kind of like the the, the big question I have is what's the difference in latency between Wi-Fi and Ethernet and how much does that impact what you do? The weird thing about it is that it doesn't work with all Vita games because a lot of the Vita games require that back touch or even front touch. You can use the front touch stuff on the PS on the touchpad on the on the PS4 controller. You can also hook a PS3 controller up if you'd rather use that. Um, it doesn't games that, that require back touch won't work. So. Um, and you hook it up to your PSN account and can download all of like I downloaded Spelunky and Rogue Legacy and, and all that kind of stuff to it almost immediately. You download to it? Yeah, you down you can download to it as well. You can put a memory stick duo or whatever their memory whatever the Vita memory stick format is. It's not a memory it's not a memory stick, it's a Vita chip. Huh. Um, and uh, use it's basically like a, a kind of low budge portable console you hook up to your TV. Yeah. Huh. So Norm, what have you been testing these days? Uh, I got a Seuss Zenfone 2. This is the Intel Zenfone? This, yes, this run an Intel um, Atom chip. Um, and performance-wise, it is fantastic. Is this the same kind of chip that's in your Surface 3? It's a little different. Okay. Um, different. Uh, that's different also an Atom, though, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, so this is an x86 um, Android phone, uh, 1080p screen, uh, mediocre 13 megapixel camera. Uh, the screen's also not, you know, good colors, but a little, little washed out for my taste. Um, also, has a really bad. 
power button placement. Where but, is that in the top in the center? Right in the top. Oh, that's in the center, unfortunate. Which is unfortunate. I had to double tap the screen to turn it on. Um, but it's a very fast performing phone, four gigs of RAM, and the great thing is that this is actually only two hundred bucks. Wow. Off contract. Off contract? Off contract. No, that's impossible. Two hundred bucks. Wow, so when you smash your phone, this is the one to get now. Now two hundred bucks gets you um the 16 gig version, and mm-hmm. I believe either 32 or I believe it's, I want to say 32, but it could be 64 gig version is a hundred bucks more. Uh, very uh, slight differences, uh, and I think maybe the RAM is different. Is as this well. the Zenfone two? Zenfone two. It's been out for a while internationally, but it's just coming out now in the U.S. They should make a Gear VR for that. Yeah, right. And you have a pretty nice little. Portable. Well, it's, it's still just a 1080p f- screen. Yeah. So you know, it's like the competitor to the OnePlus One, um, but outperforms it. And uh, I, th- I think has a better screen. Uh, the things so far that I am not enthused about are the camera and battery life. Uh, both are just mediocre. Mm. Not top of class. Uh, do you think the battery life is because it's a small battery or because it's a um, uh, x86 I processor? I that could be both. Okay. Both of those things. Not like, removable battery either. What does bad battery mean? Just one day. Just like barely one day. Like like 10 o'clock you're plugging in or 8 o'clock you're plugging in? 10 o'clock you're plugging in. Oh, that's not too, too bad. Um, does it come... It has a fast charger, though? Uh, yes, fast charger, I believe, is only for the uh, more expensive version mm. that you're paying, that you get with. So they, they actually are separating them based on clock speed and RAM as well as uh, capacity, right? I don't know about clock speed. I want to say it's the same, same processor. It looks like... I'm looking at their webpage right now, and it looks like there's a... Here we go. Yeah, there's a 2.3 gigahertz version and there's a 1.8 gigahertz version. Uh, I got the, the um, higher end one, I believe. And it's 1632 or 64. Yep. Gigs. There you go. Interesting. Okay. Um, I think that's it for us today. We we have uh, covered a lot of stuff. Well, you guys have had a little bit more time to think about the Oculus stuff. Any closing thoughts on that? Uh, want. Ready? You ready to go? I take my money. Put, put you in, <laughs> coach. Uh, my final thoughts are I'm also interested to see uh, what v- Oculus Touch applications can be outside of VR. So we're going to E3 on uh, Wednesday. We'll have a regular, this is only a test on Thursday, uh, as well as hopefully first look at Oculus Touch and some other stuff on Thursday on the site next week. Um, what's coming up on the site this week, Norm? You- Oh, go ahead, Jeremy. Just uh, one last thing on the Oculus thing that we didn't mention is Brendan hinted that the uh, tracking modules, the LEDs, could be applied to other objects. He said, "quote unquote, real world objects." Yeah, so, so that's the same thing that Valve has said. With that's the right, exactly. Stuff. So yeah. why not? You put your keyboard in VR, your mouse, other stuff. That's and I mean, get both Lighthouse and IR, Logitech Lighthouse and IR tracker. We've tracked mice. We've talked when we were at the DARPA thing. We talked to people who were building robots who were super interested in Lighthouse. Like, like as oh. a positional tracking thing, that right? Because yeah. that's, I mean, that's one of the big challenges in robotics is that there's a lot of really expensive ways to know the exact st- position of, of your extremities and stuff like that. But there aren't inexpensive ways to get that data at that kind of scale. Cool. Um, and since the lighthouse uh, uh, reference points are open, they were excited about that stuff. So anyway, uh, today's outro comes from Emil. Uh, thanks for the outro, Emil. We're running low on those, so if you guys want to send some more outros, go to Google and type raw outro song file in, and there's a thread there with the instructions about how to make your own outro. You can take horrible things that Norm and I and Jeremy have said out of context and put them in a podcast, and we may or may not play them. Uh, we will see you all next week, uh, and here's the outro. Hi there, I didn't see you. Pass it.
the older you get, the less capable you are of beating a 15-year-old. Hmm. That's 100% true. See you all next week.